In this podcast, we use the wisdom of the fourfold Song of Solomon as a map to talk about how to be of service to the self, to your ohana, your chosen family, your tribe, your community, to all people and to the cosmos at large, and how to weave all of that into a cohesive symphony of the expression of who you are. And with me to explore this topic is Kyle Kingsbury, Eric Godsey, and Caitlin Howe. And it's one of my favorite conversations because we get to share everything that's alive for us right now, what's really present for all of us. And it's one of the most valuable and actionable conversations I've had in a long time. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Helix. Vandana Shiva is probably most well-known for her eco-activism in India, but she's generally just an overall badass that is going to stand for human rights, for the rights of the earth, and not care what big organizations or forces are aligned against her. She understands her first principles and values, and she's going to stand for them. She's incredibly wise. She's a prolific author who's written many books that have shifted culture. And it was just a real honor and pleasure to sit down and have this discussion with Vandana Shiva. But first, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Helix Sleep. And I just want to let you guys know that Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for all the listeners. So for those of you who are already convinced that Helix is the shit, Make sure you take advantage of this offer. Go to helixsleep.com slash amp. Now, if you're not familiar with Helix because you haven't heard me talk about it, of course, one of their flagships is the mattress. They have an incredible mattress that's free of all of those toxic chemicals that you smell when you get a mattress from one of those shops that's in one of the outdoor malls, strip malls somewhere. That's not the way, y'all. The way is you get these mattresses delivered to your house risk-free. There's 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, mattresses for big and tall sleepers, mattresses made for kids. They have a whole lineup and a whole bunch of associated different sleep accoutrements. They even have a sleep quiz that'll help you find out your perfect mattress in under two minutes. They will ship you your mattress straight to your door free of charge so you don't have to worry about a bunch of shipping fees. There's a 100-night risk-free trial. Like, obviously, if you didn't believe in your product, you wouldn't give a 100-night risk-free trial. And they should believe in their product. Their product's great. We have Helix mattresses all over, everywhere that we sleep. Because, why? Well, They're the best. And sleep, obviously, if you've read my book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, you understand that that's such an important quality of our entire life, and Helix can help support that. They have a 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And of course, once again, 100 nights risk-free, free shipping. It's one of the reasons why it's been picked, the number one mattress by GQ, Wired Magazine, and it's recommended by all kinds of fancy people. But you can just take my word for it. It's a dope mattress. So once again, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for the listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash amp to take advantage of the offer. Once again, helixsleep.com slash amp. Next up, we have Ketone IQ. Now, I have to admit, I just saw that I was doing a read for Ketone IQ and I went to the fridge and I grabbed some Ketone IQ and I took a big serving. Why did I do that? Because ketones are one of the energy sources that the body can utilize, and 
Obviously, we know about this from the ketogenic diet, but you can also take what's called exogenous ketones, which are ketones which are not produced in the body but are taken like a supplement and will give you some of the same benefit, allow you to be a dual energy machine, much like Mark Sisson talked about on our previous podcast about being a dual energy utilizer. It's like having two fuel sources for your engine. And that's not only physical energy, but also mental acuity as well. And that's what I notice when I take Ketone IQ. It's the best exogenous ketone product that I have ever encountered. So of course, HVMN is really focused on helping you become the best version of yourself. And some of that starts with really good metabolic health. And of course, ketones are very important for metabolic health. And HVMN really has unlocked these benefits of drinkable ketones. There's a lot of ketones out there, but they've really taken it to the next level and allows you to access what really was ultimately like an ancient source of energy for times where all you were able to access was the fats and a little bit of the protein from the animals and produce ketones on your own. Or from a fasted period, actually, you start producing ketones even faster. So this is just an incredible product. It's something that I have in my quiver. Obviously, I have a ton of Honor products that go everywhere that I go. And Ketone IQ is another one of those products that goes absolutely everywhere that I go. And that's just the truth. So go to Ketone IQ, that's K-E-T-O-N-E, dash iq.com and use the promo code amp to check out and save 10 percent. once again ketoneiq.com and use the promo code amp for 10 percent off lastly we have on it and lastly we have on it and i'm going to talk again about alpha brain black label it took us 10 years to find a formula that was the black label version of alpha brain what does black label mean well that's just like the premium that's the good shit that's the top shelf shit now i love alpha brain i'm actually on alpha brain regular right now and i feel sharp as fuck and i love it but that's really actually only because i ran out of alpha brain black label the reason that i like black label so much is it just has a couple different key ingredients it has some nutritional mushrooms that actually help light up the brain it also has different forms of choline and it has mucunipurians which really taps into the dopamine system and really keeps me highly engaged focused and rewarded for the work that i'm doing so alpha brain black label is just my absolute go-to it's also really good as a mood enhancer i just feel better when i'm taking it and when my mood is better i'm more productive and i'm able to be at my best so if you guys haven't checked it out please do it is the shit also the packaging is super sexy so it's a great gift if you want to give it to somebody go to onit.com slash aubrey for 10 percent off everything at onit and also alpha brain black label once again onit.com slash aubrey and now an uninterrupted podcast with caitlin howe kyle kingsbury and eric godsey what's up y'all Hey, hey. What's up, brother? What's cracking? What's cracking? Been a minute since we all sat down together. And uh, the impetus was to talk about the Song of Songs, the fourfold song of Solomon, which is actually going to be our map for all of Fit for Service next year. So I wanted to go into what it actually means to us because I think this was chosen. I know this was chosen as a map because we all resonate with how important it is as a map, not only for ourselves, but how we offer service to our community, to all people, and to the world. And I want to go in and dive in about what it really means to us personally in our own journey mm -hmm. as we've evolved through these past years and 
what we're really feeling presently right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump in and we're going to we're going to cover each of the four songs and then of course <laughs> the inclusion of all four songs which creates the harmony of the the kind of fifth song which is a harmony not an individual song and uh, and go through what it means to all of us. Yeah. So here we go oh. to the sacred text. <clears throat> there is a one who sings the song of his soul and in his soul he finds it all, full, complete spiritual satisfaction. This is the first simple song. <laughs> and of course, there's lots of traditions that point to this idea. Atman is Brahman. The monad, I was just reading this actually in the Kabbalion. Vailan is reading the Kabbalion again, and I kind of looked over her shoulder and it says the monad is the archangel, right? Like that which you find within, you can also find externally. And that's where the full, complete spiritual satisfaction is. But of course, we don't live in a world of just us. That's obviously the shadow of that is rampant sociopathy, right? To, to recognize yeah. yourself as the only one, but it starts there. And it starts there for a reason. Mm. So... I will pose this guy, this question to you guys is what is it about the song of yourself that's been most alive? Mm. And I'm sure we could talk about this for the entire podcast. <laughs> we have to be mindful. We have four fucking songs we got to get to at the very least. And, and uh, But what is it about this first song that's really alive for each of you right now? Mm. Singing the song of yourself. I'm happy to dive in. Step up a little closer to that <laughs> microphone and dive All in. All right. Wow. Well, I feel like this year, 2022, it's so funny. We spend so much time diving into what the nature of the soul is. And there's all these different avenues. You know, I've, I've sat with ayahuasca so many times. And I've been on the path of seeking myself in many ways um, for, you know, over a decade. But I feel like this year something really clicked for me that helps me understand this particular piece of the song of Solomon in a new way. And I think the the thing that's shifted for me in how I relate to unlocking my song and being passionate about knowing what that is, is that I've realized that the path there is not one of overcoming yourself or in some ways, writing a new story is a part of that because of the stories that we have that we get when we're young and we get from society and from our relationships throughout our lives. But for me, what really clicked this year was reclaiming my true nature in full color, full spectrum, integrating and um, exalting every piece of who I've always been rather than trying to overcome her. And it feels like for most of my spiritual journey, I was rejecting myself mm -hmm. in, um, at the, in the most fundamental way. Every time I sought to heal or uncover more of me, it was like I wanted to get something different. And finally this year, it suddenly came, like came into full color that mm -hmm. everything I meant to sing in my expression is actually all of these beautiful, sparkly little pieces of me that have been there from the very beginning. And so, and then there's also an element of, of 
you know, I, I really track uh, synchronicities and signs and um, dreams and all of these things. And I've been really interested in the archetypes that I relate to and these, you know, mythical figures and goddesses and spiritual figures and um, recognizing that the things I'm attracted to or that, that, um, that come, you know, in for me through dreams and all of these things, it's not something outside of myself. It's part of my essence. There's this unique combination of these archetypal frequencies that make me this unique braid, like multi-stranded braid of a being that's unlike anybody else. Would you say it's a league of queens? (laughs) (laughs) It might be a whole ass league of queens. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of queens in here. But all of, yes, yes, I would actually. (laughs) Uh, That's the women's program I started this year for anyone who's not following me. And it's, it's going on right now. And it's been the most rewarding thing I've offered through Fit for Service ever because it's born of my true expression. And I feel that embodiment in everything that I'm teaching and offering to these women. We have such a beautiful, big community of amazing, powerful, magical beings. And and I couldn't be in the expression of my truth if I didn't start to reclaim and fall back in love with who I've always been instead of trying to overcome her. So for me, this piece of it is actually there's a shift that's happened that's saying, you know, um, reclaim your original nature. Find out what that is and love it. And the love that you have for that nature that you've always had that was kind of written in the stars and you're tracking in the mists and seeing and, you know, in the zeitgeist and everything that's alluring to you is a reflection of something that you have inherently in your soul and bringing that all together and letting it be what it is, Mm. is the key that has changed everything for me. Well said. I think there's an interesting nuance to this in that you're referring to your original nature and there is a kind of unique self. There's a kind of unique frequency. What I've imagined is that if you imagined our soul or our nature, our unique self as a composition of myriad pixels with a different hue of light, right? And Mm. we're an aggregation of all those pixels. And together, all the pixels of all the people and all of the things make up the one all color, which is a full spectrum rainbow. And we're a unique kind of configuration of all of those pixels. And that's what makes us unique is we're a unique configuration of the one. And however, I think that if we actually look inside there's pixels of every different type of color inside us as well. So yes, we have a unique nature, which is the concentration of certain colors, certain hues, like whatever hue the, whatever hue the poet is, whatever Uh hue the, all of these different archetypes might be. However, if we keep looking, we'll find a little bit of everything. Absolutely. And so where you end up arriving is not only trying to find what your nature is, because then it becomes could become a slippery slope of judging, well, my nature is this, and my nature is just a little bit better than your nature, yeah. you know, and it could be a little bit better than this. And then you can get in the comparison. But when you recognize that your nature includes the full spectrum, mm-hmm. every color of the rainbow, that's when you... Re- pull yourself from having part of your soul in exile. Like this is the nature of shadow. Shadow is that you're not acknowledging that you are 
a little bit of every color of the rainbow, every bit of the spectrum. And as the deeper that I've looked myself, I've found a little bit of everything. And then you get to a place, (laughs) you get to a place of Mm non-rejection and the place of non-rejection is the place of wholeness. And like that is ultimately really, and I could talk more about it, but that's really where I've found myself is actually finding for the first time, potentially the place of non-rejection of the entirety of myself. And that's a harrowing journey because some of these some of these hues and some of these colors that we find inside are gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Pure savagery in there. Like and it's that, like, how can I love that part? How can I love that but part? The answer to that question, when you realize how you can love that part, it that wholeness that, that it brings in, I think that's the wholeness that eliminates all comparison yep. because there's no insidious aspect of the jealousy or the comparison that's actually not looking at how you already are that too. Mm-hmm. Or the fear. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. What about for you guys? Yeah. So um, because of uh, the childhood that I've had where I found that the way that I can feel safe is to help other people, I skipped the first song and I went to the songs where um, I'm useful because I need to feel like I'm worthy. I've gotten to a point this year where I've quote unquote achieved enough where it feels like I'm finally actually returning to the first song. And for me, the path that has brought me there is um, beginning to study uh, what's called complex PTSD and what has been um, reframed as developmental PTSD. And it's a long story, and I know that we've got to get through these songs and we got four people, so I'll keep it short. But what I'm doing is I've started a project where I'm writing stories that I'm not going to share with anyone but Caitlin, who is my fiance for people who don't know. Oh, let's go, baby. And I'm going through all of my stories where I have shame or pain from my uh, childhood, and it's been gnarly. Like, um, there is a thing with dreams where you don't think that you remember a dream. And then as soon as you start to write about the dream, more of the dream reveals itself to you. And, um, like one of the natures of, uh, you could call it shame. Cause I think that's kind of the core emotion is its nature is to conceal itself from you. Hat tip to Mark Gaffney for that one. Cause that blew my mind. And like the nature of it is to disassociate from it. And um, I can feel that I'm on the verge of tears right now because the thing that I've realized by looking at this, like not the like people who have been raped or people who have gone to war type trauma, but the more subtle trauma that what I'm making contact with is it is everywhere. Like if you had the glasses from that movie, where you could see all the obey, obey. It feels like once you have these they glasses, live. right? Once you have these glasses, I don't on, know what movie you're talking about. <laughs> you oh, have it's to watch it right now. Movie. Hot Rod, Roddy Piper, Keith David in the eighties. <laughs> okay, the famous, uh, the famous director that did all the horror flicks did it. It's awesome. I'm thinking more like black lights in a 
scuzzy motel where you just see semen and <laughs> Another, blood. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere. And this is the Another beautiful thing about symbols <laughs> is that multiple avenues can bring you to the same truth. So the Come Hotel and also a great movie about Obey. Here um, we are. <laughs> that it's it's so pervasive and that I it's it's hard to even wrap my arms around it and talk about it. But basically what I've been doing is I've been revisiting these stories and alchemizing the coping mechanisms that were generated out of these stories. Because there's something intuitive in me that knows that on the horizon of my life is going to be family and children. And children are smart. And they're going to find your coping mechanisms and they're going to just eat them and take them in and absorb them and have them. And so it feels like the first song of Solomon, it's like I had to almost give and give and give until I felt myself worthy and competent enough to finally actually go back to song one. Mm. And um, it's it's kicking my ass right now, guys. So It's interesting that, you know, we joked around with the cum motel, but when you tell the story of your shame, I think there's actually a little bit more literalization of the cum motel of looking at 100%. our shame story, right? Because so much of our shame yeah. involves our sexuality 100%. and the repression of our sexuality, the denial of it, or the exaggeration of its importance, which was a big aspect for me, right? I mean, I always internalized the idea that my mom left my dad because of, you know, sexual reasons, right? Like he wasn't capable sexually. And that's a long story about how I arrived at that internalization. Right. So I always felt that if I wasn't proficient enough in the bedroom, then my lover, the, the and my mom obviously you know, symbolize the greatest woman in the world, the greatest woman in the world would leave mm -hmm. me if I wasn't sexually yeah. capable enough, right? 100%. So there's all kinds of things. If you go start looking around in the cum motel yep. and you'll find- Homework you'll find, everyone, you'll find, go to the cum motel. <laughs> <laughs> you'll find a lot there for you to kind wow. of mm -hmm. really take a look at. For all of us. Yeah, it's like, women look too. where the taboos are in the culture and that's where you're most likely hiding from yourself you know, in you. And so, of course, it's like sex, power, fame, you know, drugs, addiction. So, yeah. Kyle, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> I love everything that we're getting into right now. Um, so much listening to you guys has brought forward a lot of what I want to talk about. But really, for the last two and a half years, and I imagine a lot of people listening to this, there's been a, a catharsis that has helped move us, hopefully in the good direction. But um, nonetheless, like, shit hits the fan, and how we deal with that has really been the difference for us. Some people have checked out. They're cool with fucking getting their 30-pack alcohol and, and just numbing out. And others have taken a deep dive looking into the, the world itself. And if you spend too much time doing that, then you still remain powerless. You're still in the victim archetype. And I, I spent quite a long time there before I realized I'd have to look back inward and control what I can control and find all the techniques that I've relied upon my whole life, the techniques we bring forward in Full Temple Reset, where we get to fast and we get to clean the body and sauna and ice bath and do all the physical things, the mental, emotional practices and work on the psyche that you bring forward. And then, of course, the ceremony and the sound healing to harmonize the spirit. And knowing that's coming up and we have that every January, it's like, cool, we got that. Right. What does my daily look like? Because yeah. it isn't just waiting for the ayahuasca retreat to ask big questions and get answers. It's not waiting to take care of myself until I do the fast mm -hmm. and eating like shit until then. 
And so for me, it's been a refinement on everything from what I consume from food to what I consume media-wise, how much, you know, really I jumped off all the social media uh, stuff like uh, right before lockdown and then quickly realized that it is a, a double-edged sword and it's still the easiest way to chat with people and, and um, was able to get back on with, with my wife and then my Twitter account and all that stuff. And it was like, cool, but how much is too much before I go back into fucking panic mode seeing shit that I don't want to see? And so really the refinement for me is knowing what I know about the physical body, knowing how that that plays into the my mental emotional state, really utilizing those tools on a daily basis to see like how do I want to operate every single day. And my greatest gift in this first song is me operating at my highest level. You know, it's it's when I'm the most fit to serve that I get the most joy out of life. It's when I'm the best dad, the best husband, the best coach, the best mm -hmm. friend. And that's really been you know, there, there's never been a fire lit under my ass. Like fighting gave me a fire lit under my ass to want to learn more because I wasn't good enough to just sit down playing video games like Cormier. I had to learn. I had to read. I had to do the mobility. I had to do the ice baths. I did everything I could for an advantage. And, you know, at that ending, coaching coming along, different things that helped really draw that up, but nothing like the last two and a half years or three years to make me be like, all right, now's the fucking time. Now's the time to carve out a new way of living and parallel systems in place for our food, for our sovereignty, for all the things that we've been working on so that my kids do have a future. And, and equally important to that, that I enjoy my fucking ride along the way. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's so easy to bypass the physical and just think yep. of your psychic, emotional kind of state, mm -hmm. of state of being. But those, the psyche and the body are inextricably linked. Yep. Yes. And always when you're in question the place to go when things don't make sense and it's confusing and you don't know the next best move to make, just go right back into the body. Yep. Yeah. What's the next best thing I can do for my body? Because there's always an answer that you know. Every single person, it's not like you need to consume, it's great to consume more information in podcasts and you know, listen to your podcast or Aaron Alexander's The Line podcast or you know, read one of Ben Greenfield's tomes or whatever you want to do, <laughs> fine. But actually, the truth is we all know the next best thing we could do for our body. If you ask every single one of us or any, any single person listening, you're like, what's the next best thing you could do for your body? We all have an answer. We all know what works. And we're doing only a fraction of what actually works for us, like all of us. Yeah. You know, So I think we can get stuck in this paralysis of continuing to learn all of these intricacies and these new biohacking thing and this one peptide, that's all great. Do that, but also get back to the basics of what you know is going to work. Like breath work, for example. You breath know, works. Like, it, it's like <laughs> we know. We know how powerful it is. We know how yeah. we feel when we're done. And do we do it to the capacity? Do we do the actual minimum effective dose of what, what would really? No. And we don't. You know, for the most part. This and is another shame story I'm going to write down <laughs> in my little book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, but it's interesting, right? It's like, and, and always, so instead of being in this state of paralysis where I don't know what to do, well, just focus on, focus on the foundation until that other thing illuminates because yeah. oftentimes until your body's in the right state, the path will not become illuminated for you. You actually won't be able to see what to do because there's too much clouding and confusion that's coming from a dysregulated system. Yeah. yeah, the optimized self is how you find your North Star. You know, it's, it's something we, we both really talk about. All of us talk about this and we all help people find that in various ways through Fit for Service and the podcast. 
but it is the harnessing of the best version of yourself that gives you back your intuition, that gives you back the inner knowing. And anything that's in between that, if I'm in chronic pain, that inner knowing isn't, isn't the same as if I'm completely clean and clear. You know, If I'm beaming and feeling good, that inner knowing is on lock. It's right yeah. there. If I feel, if I'm calm and alert, you know, if I'm in a ready state uh, where I'm wide awake, but I'm also centered and chilling, I can make pretty damn good decisions there. Yep. You know, the periphery is opened up significantly. And I think that's been a, a big piece of this for that first song for me. Yeah. Some, I, I want to just add, because that really inspired me to remember what I sense that we're on, like, the cusp of as a collective. And, you know, there's all this talk about the rise of the feminine. And I think a lot of people have very gendered ideas about what that means. Right. And something that I think is my next phase in my song of self, and I know will be happening this year, is um, we have this idea of this projected God in heaven who's outside of the body. And, you know, for most of us in some form. And starting to kind of turn inward and be and ask the question of what is it like to pray into the body? Mm. What does it feel like to... Um, drum this back to life. And the relationship we have with our body is directly, I think, reflective of our relationship we have to the earth. And so when we are moving into this rise of the feminine, I sense it's actually a reclamation of the holy nature of the body. And mm -hmm. so how can we start to treat this like we would treat God in whatever way we relate to God? And how do we relate to God? How do we relate to the earth? Mm -hmm. You know, um, when we start to treat our bodies as sacred, everything in how we relate to the earth and how we relate to each other will change. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So for me, there's been a, a really powerful kind of meditation that I've been going through. And it's, uh, it's kind of woven a lot of the teaching from Mark Gaffney, John Churchill, a variety of different things, and then my own, you know, private ceremonial work with the ketamine and cannabis, which has been kind of a regular drumbeat of kind of growth and the ability to take abstract knowledge and bring it in as gnosis. And I had a very profound experience that I haven't told the story of on the podcast yet. But ultimately, what I recognized is that I have a very good understanding of what my higher higher or highest self is. Now, I don't say, I say highest lightly because that self is in evolution, mm, right? Yeah. So I, so you don't want to denominalize, like, you know, you don't want to nominalize the the self and say that it, it's done. This no is ceiling. It. Yeah, exactly. It's a like, horizon. It's still, it's still mm. evolving constantly. But I have a good idea of what that is, and I've been able to step into that more this year than ever before. So I have a felt sense, a gnosis of what my highest expression looks like, feels like, how I love, how I laugh, how I play, how I share my voice and i have a really strong feeling of that and actually through you know if you if you listen to my podcast with john churchill which i highly recommend Very good. he identified that an avatar for that is my playa name dragonheart yeah. which combines the both the tenderness and the fierceness all of the ferocity of smog the dragon mm -hmm. right and all of the tenderness of the heart and he describes it as the place where the buddha and the demon meet, right? And that's the understanding that of the highest self, right? It's the it's the full inclusion of your tender fierceness, you know, as Gaffney is wont to say. It. And so 
I've really felt that. I've felt myself as that. And then I also feel myself when I'm not that, you know, when I'm a little bit off that. So actually, to be honest right now, I'm a little bit off this very moment, like a little bit off. However, I know Dragonheart and I know who Dragonheart is. And I recognize that I always know what my highest self is. And I went through this process of saying, okay, well, if this is my highest self, that is the king. That's the king of my self kingdom. Dragonheart is the king of my self kingdom. And all other identification and all other manifestation that I'm currently participating in bows to the king. All aspects of me bow to the king. We all bow to, we all bend the knee, bend the knee to Dragonheart. Yeah. And in the bending of the knee of all other aspects of myself, it actually starts to collapse wherever I am with that highest version of myself, mm -hmm. the most loving, the most joyous, the most playful, the most rascally, the <laughs> most ferocious, like all of the, the best of me, the truest of me, the God as me, right? Yeah. My own unique expression, my unique self, as Gaffney would mm -hmm. say. And as every other aspect of myself bows, I become closer and closer, almost ontically identical with Dragonheart the more I bow. So right now, I bow this expression of me, which is, which is, but isn't actually, because I'm not quite, I don't feel it. I can't yeah. feel Dragonheart in my body right now. But this part of me bows to that, and, and I know what that is. So mm. a little, again, I'm getting closer and closer and closer to that in my expression, mm. always. So that was powerful. And I had a full coronation ceremony. And I was just like, long live the king. Yes. Long live the king. And I you know, spent some time with Aaron Rodgers out in Green Bay. And we went through a whole process where he crowned his king. You know, as long live the king. Vailana has gone through. Long live the queen. Mm -hmm. You know, and long, long may he or she reign. You know, and, and this concept of, of just saying that. And it also helps clarify decisions. It's like, what should I do? Well, this is what Dragonheart would do. Long live the kings. So that's what I do. You know, it's, it's actually submission. And it's really the only place where I think we can have true submission. Mm. Because submission is, submission is something I think most of us push, push against because we're like, well, I don't know. I don't try. That person doesn't know me. That thing, that idea may not apply completely to me. It may make sense, so I'll go along with it. But real submission, submission, not just surrender, which is kind of like acceptance, but real submission to, as you would to like a king that you actually fully believed in and fully loved. Well, of course, this is the king or queen that we can do that with because yeah, right. it's us yeah. and our highest. And that's been an incredibly powerful process. Now, let me tell the second part of this story because this is interesting as well. So I go through this incredibly powerful, you know, long live the king moment and I'm just radiating, right? And I go back into my prayer, my ketamine cannabis journey, go back into that journey another day, you know, maybe a week later or something like that. And I'm in kind of this interesting, confusing nether world that I find myself in. And I was like, uh, I don't know really what I'm doing here, but I'm going to go back to long live the king and I'm going to evoke Dragonheart and I'm going to try to anchor that in here in this place that I'm in. And then I saw a version of myself projected out in my vision, looking back at me and looks at me and goes, yeah, maybe. And I was like, long, no, long live the king. Mm -hmm. And myself talking shit to myself was like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. 
for sure. We've gotten that response in meetings when our <laughs> when our ideas are good. <laughs> <Yeah>. Maybe. <Yeah. laughs> we know that part. And so it was me talking shit to me. And yeah. I was like, how dare you, me, talk shit to me? I we we Long already did we, we did this. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And I was like, get on your knees, here, damn here. it. Yeah, exactly. Why are you bowing? <laughs> exactly. And then it turned into a fight. Wow. It turned into a fight. I got into a, a astral fist fight with this with other yourself. version of myself. And it was, I remember this, it was this really clear moment where I was in observation of myself as what I was expressing as Dragonheart, and then the other self, which I would call the anti-me, the opponent, which is the word I'm liking to use, the opponent, hmm. as me, got in this fist fight. And I remember I hit the anti-me, which was me, and I, I hit him clean, like just stroked him right in the jaw. <laughs> and and anti-me got rocked, and I was like, that's right. But then I saw that I was hitting me, and I was like, Damn. oh, poor Aubrey, fuck. How, he just got fucking smashed. And it was this crazy feeling of recognizing that it was both me. Me and my opponent were actually still me. And then I recognized from there that we all have an anti-us, an opponent. But actually, the purpose of that opponent is our own evolution. And actually, if the divine wants to evolve, and if we want to evolve, what better way to evolve than to project the absolutely worthy opponent of the anti-us and then have those two versions compete. Yeah. That's what's going to drive the highest level of evolution. It's the masculine face of Eros. And I've talked to Gaffney about this. We've actually gone back and forth about whether he accepts it as that or whether he would place the anti-you in, in the unique self. Or, But I, I really feel mm. like this is the masculine face of Eros. Eros is the desire for intimacy for evolution, right? Which is the feminine face of Eros in, in many ways. But the masculine face is competition. And part of, our, part of the structure of cosmos and structure of reality is that for our own evolution, we have an opponent that we have inside that mm -hmm. we compete with and in through that competition we're just barely able to defeat the anti the anti version of ourselves the opponent we're barely able to defeat the opponent and that drives our evolution because imagine Kyle if you had to fight Kyle like who would win if you had to fight <laughs> Kyle that's we fucking that's fucking gnarly <laughs> because Kyle is doing exact same shit as Kyle uh -huh. to fight Kyle and Kyle can't block a punch so we're getting <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of offense it's a in this bath. fight yeah <laughs> so it's like the intensity of that and i think that's why in martial arts movies and different star wars and different mythic things the hero always comes to a point where they fight themselves and i think we kind of we kind of like make this oh, this is just a metaphor you know for overcoming your own no, no, I actually think there's something deeper to that wisdom. Skywalker actually, chops off the head and it's his, right. right? The art is actually pointing to something where it's us versus the anti-us always, always <laughs> at all times as a driver for evolution, and it's still us. So in the completeness of who we are, we have to also accept and recognize that the opponent is us and that we have an opponent and have like this deep sensei bow and yeah. this gratitude to the opponent, like, thank you, anti-Aubrey, anti thank you, opponent, for sharpening my sword, for making me stronger. And this competition is no, is, it's not for play. Like, this is for serious. Like, we have to give it everything we got to actually evolve. Yeah. We, have to, we have to strive to actually defeat our opponent. 
at every time. And the opponent is insidious. Sometimes the straightforward attack, which is like the negative self-talk, you're a piece of shit and blah, blah, blah. We've all had that voice come in that's super self-critical. It can beat us down. That's basically when the opponent has us in ground and pound, right? And they've double-legged us and they're just fucking smashing us like Kane used to do to people back in the day, right? And that moment is not always going to work. Sometimes it's going to be like, little insidious ways they just take us three percent off of our game just make us doubt us just a little bit slightly have us retract our love from our partner pull us away from presence in the moment get us thinking and so recognizing the opponent and also respecting the opponent and also then saying long live the fucking king (laughs) you know like the opponent yes mad respect however like i am going to represent and be my highest fullest self which means that i will constantly be coming into contact and competition with my own inner opponent and so that paradigm has really exploded open this whole song of the self for me and recognizing because lots of people have talked about it stephen pressfield calls it resistance you know there's lots of religious names and spiritual names for this different force that we all sense and we know is real But for me to actually understand it in this way has been just an extremely powerful development. It's brilliant. And because the opponent is not always attacking. Right. A lot of the time it's very, it's very friendly. Oh, do it tomorrow. Yes. You know? Um, (laughs) Exactly. Just and get then, up later. It's yeah. all the little oh, things. Oh, so subtle. Just be comfortable. So subtle. Yeah. Because there's certain points where the, it's not that the, the opponent wouldn't use a strong attack, but a strong attack isn't available, mm-hmm. right? And the, and the opponent knows that. Then it becomes little finger. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, <laughs> oh, just, finger, just moving, moving <laughs> ever, ever so slightly. And in those moments when you catch it, and then you're actually in service of your inner ruling king or queen... Long live the king. No, yeah. not tomorrow. Long live the king. We do this today. Love it. And uh, for anyone who feels like, no, I don't really have this, you know, like Aubrey's talking about he's fighting things in some space. It's like if you wrote down your inner monologue for today, <laughs> you would see your anti-you. Um, if you looked at, your addictions, and sorry to break it to you guys, everybody has addictions. Check out Gabor Mate's work. No one is excluded from this. Uh, you'll see how Part X gets in there, or not Part X, that's what Stutz calls it. Shout out to Stutz. But um, we all have it. And what's interesting is, like, it almost won't ever talk to me directly because I've done so much work with cognitive behavioral therapy where I can catch almost any thought. Work. Damn, your opponent's got to be sharp. But what my opponent <laughs> is, is it's this pseudo compassion, like I'm giving advice, like the advice that I would give to people who I don't think are trying to aspire greatly in the world. Mm. You know, because like one of the pushbacks I get often for my like teaching style is like, well, what if I don't want to do and then huge thing that it seems like I want to do? You know, so like I give softer advice to people who confess that, that like they don't want to do anything grand. Mm-hmm. And I'm just connecting to it right now, but it feels like I'm almost unconsciously agreeing to their 
anti part. Because mm-hmm. I think that like your true expression is less about the specific of what you're going to do. And it's more about the energy in you as you claim it. And when people give back that type of critique, I can feel through the vibration of their voice that it's actually their anti them speaking. But so anyways, mine is very much like, um, like, you know, that's not what you actually want. That's just what you want because of your wounds and the things that you've grown up with. Like, just relax and just be a person and it's okay. Like, everything's okay, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. mine is this fucking, yep. yeah. It's, it's, it's as good as you. Almost. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's Almost. the thing too about what you shared Almost. is like, if we bow to the inner king or queen supremely, if that's the one entity we will submit to, what is the one entity, the other one entity we will submit to? Is that harsh or conniving expression that's so close to us, that's like protecting our comfort and looks and feels just like us? It is us. But, you know, we ba- we submit, I think, to both more than anything else in the world. If someone else comes up to you and is like, you can't do that. Right. Just be fuck lazy. You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're a piece of shit. You'd be like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's yourself, you don't even notice because you believe it so much because it's your own voice. Right. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And it has it has that familiarity, the credibility. It uses every, every aspect, that every advantage that it has. Is. Every single advantage it will use to its advantage. And of course, and that's the way we would design it. Use every advantage you got. Make me the best. Make 100%. me the best king the that best. I can possibly be and bring it. You know, like yep. it's that like Bruce Lee kind of like waving in the hand. Come here. Like bring it. Like let's go. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you're going to get put on your back and, you know, stand back up, wipe off the wipe off the psychic blood, give a little nod like well played. You know, I won't fall for that one again. It's such a beautiful reframe to instead of seeing it as this evil aspect of self, right? To see it as it's every little move is going, show me what you got, mm-hmm. and it's serving you. Yeah, I think that's it's a force the of nature, alchemy. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's what actually refines us to be the hero of our own story because ultimately the opponent is trying to take us off our highest storyline. If our unique self is our unique story. It's just trying to get us into a story that's a, not our truest, highest story, not our unique story. Yeah, and a thing that's interesting is it feels like there's been a movement in the last like maybe 40 years where a certain branch of, um, you could say, the spiritual community, the game that they've chosen to believe is uh, I'm going to learn how to get still enough and quiet enough to not play the game of my unique self versus my anti-self because that's the nature of pain and reality. Therefore, we need to recede from it. And that, like, one of the, what I loved about John uh, Churchill's podcast with you is it's like that, that was a misunderstanding of the West of Buddhism. Yeah. That the true essence of Buddhism is like, no, 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 no. Like, we're going to get quiet so we can recognize the game is happening. Yeah. Because the thing in the West, like it's the an thing, intermediate step. Right. It's it's not the end point. But what happened in the West is a lot of people just wanted to like op out of the of the game. But the thing that Buddhism does is it allows you to recognize that you're in the arena. Because most people for most of their lives don't even recognize that they're in the arena and they're anti-them. is just this like 
assassin in the dark that just like trips them and like puts their finger in their ear or like right. fucks right. up their nice like move. lunch or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they don't even like, they can't even see it. And like, you have to do a certain amount of either self-reflection or have people who will help you become aware of like, you know, like, um, I was going to get into examples that might be controversial, but there are things <laughs> that if you have people around you that they can call you out for it, that's one way to do this work. But I guess the thing that I wanted to highlight is <laughs> most of us, most of the time, like, we have to do work to condense our anti-part into a character that we can contend with because it's actually in this like atmospheric state where it's like, it's like behind us and around us, but it's our self-talk. It's the spontaneous images that you have in your mind of you failing or of you having done something that created shame in you like 10 years ago. And most people haven't even condensed it yet to be in yeah. front of them. And, and, that's this, a is, part of the and work. this is, I think, one of the one of the ideas that Churchill was sharing about creating this avatar. And I think there's the avatar of, and they use tankas. And tankas were literally a visual representation of where the angel and the demon or the Buddha and the demon meet, right? And so, you know, with the tanka, one of the tankas that Churchill likes is the tanka yamantaka, the death fucker. Right. And it's this demon looking being with this fully erect cock and like, but all of these angelic qualities as well. But you have to actually show the ferocity in this avatar that you're saying, this is, this is actually the model of the self that I'm looking because it includes all of the, it includes all of the darkness and all of the light. And that's the fullness of our being going back to what we were originally talking about. Like you have to actually represent it as this and all of, all of the representations that don't show that darkness are false and lead to this kind of hierarchical judgmental thinking about, well, this is my bad part and this is my good part, but in the embrace of all of it, that's your king and that's your queen. And then the, really the the other version of you the opponent is a similar it's a simulacrum of that of that being mm. that you're just contending with right but you first have to like visualize who the king is and you can actually differentiate if you like the opponent but make sure that it's equal in its in its grandeur in its power mm -hmm. in its potency and i think there's a move i actually wish i was a better artist and like i thought visually in that way cuz i would love to be able to visually depict something for dragonheart where i could say like make it my tanka say like long live the king and i could see it cuz i can't i've never been able to really see it in a vision i'd feel it mm. and and also i never been able to really see the opponent but it'd be cool you know to have a process where i actually could visualize these and i think that would be productive and I think it goes to what you're saying is like it's taking all of these things that are nebulous and actually making a symbol and not saying, not pretending that the symbol is anything other than a pointing out instruction right. for the truth, right? Yeah, it's, it's still the finger, finger pointing yeah. at the moon, but it's still helpful for us because we do think in symbols and we think in, in different ways. And so this idea itself is a symbol, is a pointing out instruction to the truth. And then if we could actually visualize this yeah. in another way, that would be another way to advance this process and mm -hmm. help us, you know, help us actually 
work with it in a powerful way. Yeah, a thing that I'm doing that's not as dope as that, but I think it's it's been very helpful for me is I've actually, I've been using my Google Calendar. I'm sorry, I still use Google Calendar, Kyle, uh, because they're tracking my shit. But um, I'll write out whatever I did for the previous hour and then I'll color code it based off of what emotional state I was in. And the one rule is don't bullshit yourself, Eric. So like if you spend an hour on your phone and you were in a, sh- you were in a not whatever the version of my dragon heart is, write it down. And at the end of the week, I look at how I've spent my time because there's this quote and it's, um, uh, I care not, damn it, I forgot how that quote goes, but it's like, I don't give a fuck what you say. Show me what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'll know who you are. And it's like, what, like, I, I mark my hours as gold if I was in my highest expression. And there's like three bars of gold mm. in the week. Yeah, there's a, there's a story from the, from the lineage teachings that Gaffney shares. And it talks about, I think it, he's Nachman of Breslau versus one of these kind of mystics who, you know, encountered his kind of mentor and and his mentor said you know i could count there's this process of collecting the days and collecting the moments and moments where you were actually expressed as your king or your queen and in the fullness mm-hmm. of yourself and and one master says you know i i can count 12 days in my life where i was you know fully truly my in this in this metaphor the king or the queen i resonate with and so and then <laughs> And then so the, the, the future master was like, 12 days, that's pathetic. Call yourself a master, basically. And then that master gets to the end of his life and is like, wow, I don't know how he got to 12 days. <laughs> you know, like, I love that story. Like, wow. And so it's yeah. this idea of it's like, this, yes. is the, this, is, this is not an easy path. But when it's you're humbling. there, when you're there, it's, it's so incredible. There's so much joy and aliveness in your life. And, uh, and that's really the path that I'm on. And I have, I have, I have, I can't resist sharing this other tangent. I was also exploring how the nature of one of our darkest aspects is our judgment, right? Like judge the way that we judge ourselves and the way that we judge others. And of course, it's important to disambiguate judgment from discretion. Discretion is important. Actually, it's discretion that carves out the self from the all. It's a boundary, Right, and there is a boundary, a loose boundary that's always evolving, just like our body. But there's a boundary of our skin, and then a boundary of our heart resonance field, and a, a boundary, if you imagine more abstractly, of the collection of pixels of light that comprise our soul. Right, so there's a boundary, and that's discretion. But where actually, and this is another teaching from a recent uh, recent session with Gaffney, is that all evil comes from a distortion of that holy idea of boundary, the holy idea of boundary and discretion into actually linking it with disgust, Mm. where all of a sudden it's not like you're just carving Mm. it out, out of your own discretion boundary, but there's disgust for the other. And disgust for the other actually gives license for all manner of horrors and villainy. Exactly. And and, then there was this, I could could feel it in the contemplation, like, oh, disgust. And then I realized how holy it is, actually, all of the images of demons and devils and monsters are actually, in in what I was recognizing, is the most holy image that we can look at. Why? Because what it's doing is it's 
triggering it's, that response. It's triggering yeah. us to judge it, and it's saying, "Are you judging me now?" That's cool. Can you love me now? Goosebumps. What about now with these with these fangs and this monstrous mm-hmm. monstrous? Can you love me now, or will you be disgusted? You know, or like, mm-hmm. will you? And it's not like we don't have the discretion to say, "No, I'm not going to do that." You know, that's not my way. But it's like as we as these images appear, it's a test. It's a test to say, like, will we have disgust for other when it appears in this way? Yeah. And so all, and I just had this this feeling that like all of this demonology, all of these these ideas was just a question back to God. God is us, God is self, God is the collective. Can you love me still? Wow. Can you love me still? And so often we say no. And so often we say no. When we look at ourselves, can you love me still? And 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 this was like this other deep revelation of like, oh yeah, hold the boundary, you know, define who you are, define the king or the queen, but the other and the opponent, the moment you get into disgust, you know, and other and try to kill it, and then you're actually missing the ultimate truth of the oneness of the divine. All is of God or nothing is, Paul Selig. Yeah, a a thing that is coming through for me is that, um, you know, the root of demon was did, was the word daemon from Greek mythology, and that um, the idea of the daemon is that it's the thing that is guiding your growth. And it's mm-hmm. like the, it's almost, if you imagine a shell or like a seed, that force is the thing inside of the seed that's trying to break it. But in our minds, it's also the force outside of the seed that impinges the seed that is our anti-self. Yeah. It, it, and it's like that's the aspect of the daemon that is a demon asking, and do you love this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As your eternal opponent. Yeah. The game, the game got hella deep in the last few, <laughs> in the last few months for me. And uh and just just grateful for it. All right, let's move on. Second song. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And there is a one who sings the song of her people. She leaves the zone of her personal soul, which she doesn't find wide enough and not settled in ideal serenity and attaches herself with tender love to the totality of her tribe. And together with her people, she sings. She suffers their pains and she takes delight in their hopes. She ponders high and pure ideas about their past and their future. And she investigates with love and the wisdom of the heart, the inner content of their soul. Song two. And song two speaks to the truth that there will always be a tribe, a group of people who are on the inside in our own inner holy of holies sanctum that we're just going to care about a little bit more. We're going to resonate more with. And I think one of the traps that you can find in, you know, you'll see it in Course of Miracles and you'll see it in a lot of teachings is to try and get you to bypass the second song, which is saying like, no, you're going to have your people, your family, your tribe, your ohana. We have a whole bead exchange ritual that actually all of us have exchanged our beads which is signifying that that there's a special relationship that we have. But of course, Course of Miracles is like no special relationships. And it's like, yes, and you can't bypass this reality and this truth 
You know what I mean? Like this is actually, we're built this way. We're built to care a bit more about our people and our family and our tribe and our beloveds and our children and our wife or spouse and whatever that might be. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't acknowledge this and try to bypass and try to say all people, but they're actually just kidding themselves Yeah. for one. And I think there's, there's also, you know, if you get lost in the shadow of just worrying about your people, then you get into this mm -hmm. idea of my people versus everyone else. And this is the, the dark side of tribalism, which leads to ultimate conflict. So I think there's deep wisdom in this, in this teaching of actually, you know, recognizing that you have your tribe and your people and you need to include this song and then ultimately as we'll get to transcend it it's include and transcend so yeah. it's include the song of the self transcend it to the song of your people include the song of the people and transcend it to the third and fourth song yeah yeah there's a lot here yeah each song man whole <laughs> yeah, podcast for sure for sure <laughs> wow um a lot comes up for me with you sharing that yeah if you want if it's yes. my turn to dive in. Let's go. Um, to speak about the tribe, uh, I'm, I was feeling really emotional at the end of the, the discourse about song one, um, recognizing also that I was having a memory of you actually having, um, you've, you've been, I've known you for the longest of almost anybody I know, period, mm -hmm. and been close with you for a very long time. And so you've been my champion for years and years and years in this um, most, like a soul guardian level. Um, and what came, what clicked for me was a memory of the love that you have for me is also enough to call me out and like tell me when, like you'll be so encouraging, so loving, so gentle, so unconditional. And even in your unconditionality, you will be a clean mirror and shake me awake. And sometimes, you know, what ha why that came in for me was thinking about the opponent inside that actually serves you. And it's like, if you can have somebody in your life who is willing to be honest with you and say like, wake up, this is, this is your destiny. You're over here. You know, I, th the memory was of a time, you know, I, I, I was going through a painful breakup. I was, I'd stayed out all night partying with my friends and I was just drowning and numbing the, the pain and and you came in and very directly said to me do you want to live or do you want to die change or die and you, and I remember you hit the table and it woke me up and what I did so magical is I I went home and I made a vision board and I committed myself to face death and I wrote to death in rainbow colors on the top of it. And I collaged an image of this warrior goddess facing off with death and every put around it images of everything I wanted for my life. And um, what's so beautiful is I just realized that that culminated at our last summit with me dressing as my version of Yamantaka mm -hmm. and embodying the thing that was my opponent, which was this insidious part of me that was actually in a way trying to kill herself to win yeah. wow. to beat the queen and um i'm shaking because it's just so deep for me and, and life is such a rich masterpiece but we have these relationships when we find them that are that force of 
of divinity and and uh, countenance and challenge to say, you know, look at yourself. I see you. Don't forget. Mm. And all of you guys have been that for me, my partner here, in like so many ways. And so it's really important. Um, it's really important because we can get lost in that quest for self and just go into solitude and into a cave and... Um, and it's sometimes not enough love and it's sometimes not enough challenge mm. to really realize what's here for us. And we have this amazing, you know, I brought my tribe beads. I didn't bring them to the table, but um, there's something really, really life-changing to even have one person that you know that if you need something, they're there. And I've found that, like, for myself, the best of me comes out for other people. And so there's an aspect to my nature, one of those concentrated pixels, as you described it, that's deeply compassionate and loves to feel people in love. And there was something so alchemical for me, this convergence of, of mind-blowing magnificence to dress in costume and dance as death for all these people that needed to feel that integration of self and when we did that at the last summit, I've never had a better feeling. Everyone was in costumes, and it was like this thing that I, mm. that I, um, I used to judge myself for. It was like, oh, you you just grow up, get serious, stop playing around, and it's like, no, um, you know, evolve, integrate this. What's the highest expression of this? And it comes through for me for other people because I care about them so much, and so I feel this kind of there's our. There's our inner circle, so to speak, because which is formed purely by, not by exclusivity, but by magnetism. We are mag magnetized to people that we have deep resonance with. And there's a beautiful, I feel, be believe, a beautiful design to that. And there's a capacity. There's only so, you know, we live in an age right now where part of my inner critic and my, my stress point every day is I can't keep up with the amount of relationships I have. We have this, you know, constant access to a global network of relationships. And it can be very diluting and it can also create um, pain, I think, for people seeing relationships and feeling on the outside and wanting to be on the inside. And, and, um, and we have to remember that as beings, energetically, we only have capacity to go deep with so many people, but we do need some people to go deep with. And so allowing us to see that in the world and recognize, like, that's the magnetism that's there. And I, I stand in my magnetism and embrace and love what comes to it. And I build community there. And I honor that it's, it's very important to me and that, 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 that this is where my energy goes first. Yeah. But also loving everybody else on, you know, beyond that circle in a way where it actually brings the best out of you. I think that that's a piece that um, if we need to use the song of self, to embrace the world, you know, ask yourself, like, what, what about the world and the greater community and the greater tribe brings the best out of me? And how can I love the greater tribe for that? And how can I step into that? And that's been, uh, yeah, really transform transformative, pivotal experience mm -hmm. for me in this community. Yeah, having that, having those reflection points of the tribe of your second song is so important yeah. it's a it's the crucible another crucible of our evolution also in both in some cases in 
the masculine expression, which is competition in the healthy way, you know, like let's fucking go like, like in, and there's the healthy aspect, but also then in the intimacy in the, in the sharing way of like actually having those moments where you can drop in and see each other truly deeply. And, and, uh, I think as it's, really i mean we do a lot of incredible things at fit for service but consistently the most life-changing experience is that people feel like holy shit like the second song is alive yeah there's a whole group of people who are willing to share their truth vulnerably and connect and receive my truth whatever that is however shameful i might have been there's somebody else who's sharing that same shame and receiving it and then aspiring and laughing and and willing to grow and go that you know go along the journey with me and i think for so many people they don't feel that they don't have it in their family you know the family doesn't feel like the second song really i mean they do it's almost like an obligatory second song oh it's my fucking family Mm -hmm. but like it's not the ohana it's not like your chosen your chosen family that allows you to actually grow together. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's what Fit for Service has really offered so many people is just an access point to a greater community, which from there, everybody then forms their inner circle. It's like, you know, concentric rings. It's like a little Russian yeah. nesting doll mm-hmm. of like, all right, now you get access to this amazing group of people. All right, where's the, who is the 30 that you, you know, say hi to first when you gather and are most, and then, and then what are the, who are the 10 that you invite over for that late night fire, mm-hmm. fireside chat, you know, and then who are the three that you invite with you to go to the beach, you know, <laughs> like a fucking two months later or whatever, you know, and so yeah. I think that's, uh, it's so essential. And it's been, I think one of the reasons that we've been able to, be coaches and facilitate this community is because we have that ourselves is yeah. that we're practicing this all the time like the way that we interact and navigate within community has allowed us to actually see because we're we're doing you know ceremonies together we're doing experiences together when we get together it's not you know sometimes it's just you know fuckery and shenanigans and sometimes <laughs> it's like we're we're showing up and going yeah. and crossing the crossing into the void together so um yeah i mean the the second song <clears throat> is another one of those absolutely essential crucibles of growth yeah for me what's been interesting is i see this song as having almost like three layers to it and the first layer is the family that you were born into and that most of us in western culture the dynamics of that family just were not such that we could have made contact with the full expression of ourselves. And then layer two is when you get the opportunity to start to find your chosen family. And it's in that sphere for me where I've been able to deepen my contact with the true unique part of me And I can feel that like one of the longer like black belt challenges for me is everything that I'm learning and fit for service to be able to embody it in a way where that energy comes back to my family and that um, to the degree that they're able to meet me in that space, I'm, I'm just really connecting to like everything that I've learned in my chosen family, I'm going to be able to bring to my parents when they start to die that like that's going to be one of the true gifts one of the true fruits of this practice is 
Because there's something about once they start to feel the immediacy of death that I believe opens us up to like all the things with our family that uh, we're not able to make contact with until there's like a pressure on it. And then the third layer of that, and I was talking with Caitlin about this the other day, but like the metaphor of like each of us has a arena that our unique self is calling us into. And there's this instinct to like, especially people who are kind of like um, not on their traditional path is to the arena that they're called to, they judge it, you know, and they attack it and they call out how it's like fucked up and how it's not okay. And like, for me, it's whatever you want to call the arena that's trying to help people with mental illness. And I remember when I was doing some research for one of the previous books that you were going to write where we thought that we could write How to Master the Mind and we got our ass kicked by that, but that I started doing a bunch of research on the history of depression. And it made me so fucking angry to see the non-conspiratorial documented history of the corruption and the lies and how much it's hurt millions of people. And I had a dream where I was like in a dark woods and there was this like 50 foot female angel and she was just pointing and she was on fire and she was pointing towards the arena. And, and the vibe of the dream was that's where you go. And that the larger tribe that I feel called to contribute to is like psychotherapy and the attempt to help people with mental disorders. And there's like, as I learn in this tribe, how to uh, integrate the parts of me that have that disgust response, that will help me be with my family in a way that will start to um, relax their defenses in a way where they can be more of their true selves as they get closer to death. And it also is teaching me how to arrive in the arena where I'm not just like flipping everyone off and spitting and casting venom. And that there's something about fit for service that I have found that like one of my core wounds with the tribe is that I can't rely on other people because when I was a kid, I, I didn't feel like I could rely on the people that I was supposed to be able to rely on. And two, that I can trust strangers. And that mm. for me has been, mm -hmm. I think, the most healing part of Fit for Service is I see all styles of people who before they come to an event like what we do, they meet people who completely contradict their expectation of the other tribe that they hate. You know, like mm -hmm. if they're just on Twitter, it's like, fuck those people. And then they meet those people. And then they hear them share their stories or they see them weep in breath work and they realize, oh, I am that too. And so what I'm seeing in, the, in this layer of the song is it's like the layer in the middle is it's the easiest for me to be with y'all in a way where I can like just be and not feel shame, mm. be and not feel fear. Um, compete and fucking like push against you guys and you guys push back against me where I'm learning how to bring that back to my family slowly. And then I'm also learning how to bring that to the arena that I feel called to go into. 
Because one of the things that's really interesting is like the people that we have the strongest judgment for, especially like when we're on social media, are the people who are called to the same arena as us. <laughs> but the way they do it or how they got there or that they got there before us or that they have the audacity to be in the arena and say the things and we're like, they're fucking wrong, but I'm actually not in the arena. They are our, that's our tribe waiting to be made contact with. Like one of the things that's interesting is if you think about humanity before electricity clouded the sky and we couldn't see the stars, the most magnificent thing every day was the night sky. And it feels like the arena that you're called to is that's the specific constellation that for you is the most bright. Mm. Like you don't get to choose which constellation is the one that just grabs you. And that like our quote unquote haters are the people who look at the same constellation. Mm. And so I feel that it's like, it's a horizon that I can ever grow into, but that what I'm learning with you guys is both behind me affecting my family and in front of me affecting the people that if I didn't have this, I'd be hating on them. Mm. I'd be subtweeting on Twitter or whatever the <laughs> fucking thing is. And so that's how that song feels for me. There's an interesting part of this, which I'm, which I'm curious about. And there's, you know, in, in hearing you talk and just knowing, knowing you as a brother, there is a very strong emphasis on your blood family and that, you know, many times you referred to this as being kind of a means to the ultimate ends. And this is reductionist. And, you know, so it's not exactly what you said, right. but there is an implication that the purpose of the second song was actually to heal your blood family. So it in some ways created, a, in my mind, this idea of, of a, a significant amount of importance placed on the blood family. And in some ways that is the traditional, that's the traditional orthodox view of family. It's like, it's all family, it's all about family. It's family first, family this, you know, it's like, it's your blood family. But there's also, you know, more heretical teachings you know, which actually I did reference, The Course of Miracles, is actually talking about these type of special relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think they're talking about it in a different way. I think they were talking about it categorically. But Yeshua, it's, yeah. a, it's a quote that Ted Decker says all the time, to follow my way, you must hate your mother, hate your father, hate your brother, hate your sister. Yeah. And what he's, what he's referring to is that the specialness by label is what, is what, we, what we need to discard right, to a certain degree, to actually see everybody as, as people. And I'm curious because I'm, I'm definitely, I have a fucking awesome relationship with my family. It just keeps getting better. And, and, I'm, and it is very important to me. And I do carve out special time for my family. But it's really now the family that I spend the time with, it's because of, it's, they've merged into my ohana. They're my chosen family. I would choose them anyways. I'd choose my right. mom to... Yeah. I'd choose my mom to hang out with whether she was my mom or not. I'd choose my sister Shannon to hang out with whether she was my sister or not, you know. And even my stepdad now, it's like our relationship is developing in such a way. And it's beautiful that we have this history and this other this other part. But it's uh it's just curious, it's it's interesting to me. And I think there's a lot of people who have challenging things with their family. And I think, you know, it feels like um just kind of a curious question I know what you mean, whether yeah. you've like really actually looked at 
wow, it, am I giving this too much weight? Is this right. too important to me? Like, let's say I spend, you know, 30% of my mental power thinking about these people who I might not even be able to change. And the more I chase them, probably the more they're going to run away. And I know you're smart enough not to chase. Right. And yeah, I know that you have all the technologies and <laughs> mm -hmm. psychic, you know, faculties to be mm -hmm. able to navigate this in the right way. Yeah. So yeah. I just kind of want to open that up because yeah. I think it's worth, worth talking about. Um, the quote from Jesus is the one that I think really gets to the core of this. And it's that, um, because I've read Ted Decker's explanation of what he means by the word hate, and it means to have no regard for. Right. And that there was, uh, to survive our childhood, there was a strategy that we had to acquire that wasn't the true authentic expression of who we were, and that that was dictated by how we thought we ought to be. And what I've learned as an adult is, I now know what it feels like in my body in the same way that you know if you're in resonance with Dragonheart. I know when I'm in the resonance of who I am as an adult who is not placating or trying to be other than what he truly is and that I can feel the instincts to try to go back to the child that mm. I was. And the truth is that I didn't get an opportunity to really be a child. Like, I became a parent in my family very early. Um, and so what is actually for me is that it's not the reason of song two, but a beautiful fruit of song two is that I've cultivated the capacity to be me mm -hmm. with my family in a way where mm -hmm. I'm not trying to do anything to them. I'm just recognizing, oh, I feel the instinct to go back into this pattern. And I'm just choosing not to. And in this really interesting way, I'm allowing myself to be their son as opposed to be their coach, which I tried to be at like 14, which is mm -hmm. just not, <laughs> not the way, everyone. Mm -hmm. And that um, the, the key is that it's not the reason to step into this song. But what I've noticed is that it's a beautiful, sweet fruit that I'm mm -hmm. grateful for that comes out of this song, that my family gets the opportunity to experience me without trauma responses towards them. Mm -hmm. And I can just feel that there's this slow, almost like blossoming. Cause like, imagine having a son who's trying to coach you, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, it closes the flower. Yeah. But what I've been able to do is just like, be me with them and I can feel that they're like, oh, he's not going to judge me for eating this way or he's not going to judge me for watching TV or he's, you know, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a, this is a choice point for us all. And I think the reason why I brought this up is I think we need to become aware that it's, it's still a choice and, you know, like the honor thy mother and father biblical commandment is like, yeah, okay, honor them, but also choose your choose your ohana. Like choose who you want to allocate your time and recognize that they're just people. You know, my mom and your mother and your father, they participate in mother and father to whatever degree they actually participate. I mean, biologically, yes, they donated some DNA, you know, and in a in a moment of lovemaking, you know, created created the spark of my body and then nurtured me in certain ways. And there, there is a reciprocity thing, but there's also the invitation to not necessarily have to include 
your fa- your family in song too. You can, and it's beautiful when you when you can and when you do. But there's there's seasons and there's times, and and to me, I think the the way that I look at song too is it's a it's an earned position, not a given position. Like this is a place that you earn. And you're, you're always going to be part of song three, which is all people. And we'll mm-hmm. get to that. Like, you're granted. doesn't matter who the fuck you are. You know, mm-hmm. you could be in San Quentin. You're in song three. It's all people. Klaus right. Schwab, song three, baby. Song three. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. You're always in that. But to get into song two, it's, it's, it's earned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think there's an interesting relationship with that, with, with family. And so I, I think I wanted to mention that just so people have this kind of idea that just take a look, just take a look at your attachments to family and see how much of it is conditioned from a society that wants you to focus on that no matter what, even if your family was abusive or if they're still abusive or, you know, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean like everybody just stop talking to your family. I think there is something to the fact that you have a unique access point like you do to your family. If it's not you, who the fuck is it going to be? Your unique access point gives you a unique obligation in a certain way to use again Gaffney's terminology your unique obligation is the recognizing of a need and knowing that you alone can fill that need and that is one of the bonds that we have with our family is like no no it, if it's not me it's nobody there's not nobody's going right. to come with these ideas and get on the inside if it wasn't for the familiarity that we actually have but it's a it's a it's a very rich and nuanced kind yeah, of but ultimately it's a choice it's a choice and that's that's i think the the meta point that I'm trying where to make. Where do I want to direct? Where do I want to direct my energy and not to let the pressures of an external mm-hmm. zeitgeist and habituation and what people think, uh, you know, influence that. Completely agree. Yeah, there's been, this has brought up a ton for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love getting to go last. Yeah, it's, um, it's a good spot. <laughs> I'll start with the prayer of tribe, but first I just need to comment on the parent stuff. Like I think one of the the... I completely agree with you, Godzi, in that I have felt as I've leveled up in the game, it has allowed me to be more of me around my family, and that's been a weight lifted for them. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I still judge the shit out of them for what they put in their bodies. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's made our cohesiveness better. And at the same time, in tandem, full-on kicked them out of Ohana plenty of times. My wife put, put my mother-in-law on timeout for six months after saying that Bear didn't deserve drug parent, druggy parents. You know, like, all right, time out, you're out. We'll talk to you in a while. You know, like, and that <laughs> that hard boundary around them as adults is one of the things that that really creates our ability to step into being adults and step yeah. into being heard and not treated as a child, even though we're always their children, we'll always be their babies. I'm a 40-year-old man, just like fucking Oki State guy. I'm a fucking man. I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm a dad, and I'm going to raise my kids the way I want to raise them. And that boundary line has been... A beautiful thing because at the end of the day, there is that no regard. Fuck you. You can get fucking 86 like anyone else. You're going to talk to us that way. You're gone. She gone. And then we go back to living <laughs> our lives and it's a lot more peaceful, right? Because we're not letting in these detractors, vampiric energy from any sort, no matter who it is, you can be removed. And then with that, oh shit, you appreciate the boundary and you want to be a part of our life and you're willing to not make ridiculous claims like that and actually hear us out that we're not working with witch doctors and it ain't Satan behind it. Cool. Your grandma again. Let's have fun, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's been a big piece for me. But it started for me with Tribe and Song 2 and recognizing the staleness 
of the friendships that I had growing up. Awesome guys, and I've I've since reconnected with them in a way where you know we all make each other laugh, and I can appreciate that without needing anyone to change, and that that still stands. Um, but we wanted more. Both Tasha and I wanted fucking tribe, and we left California. We moved to Vegas, where her family was. Had a couple homies there from fighting, but it wasn't our tribe. Nobody was doing psychedelics. Nobody was doing the things that we wanted to do. And it was a big prayer both of us had in, in everyday waking consciousness and in the big journeys that we really cemented in. Sweat lodges, ayahuasca, psilocybin, like we want our fucking tribe. We want people that are going to sharpen our swords where we can actually be seen and we can see the other and grow from all of that. You know, and, and it's, it was pure synchronicity. I told this story at the last Fit for Service. But all of the things that, that lined up just perfectly, you know, in meeting you and the uh, plane flight home and then you offering a job and me getting fired in the airport as I'm flying to fucking Austin for that interview, you know, just so much of that where I look back and, and uh, it's undeniable. That is the guidance of the inner knowing. That is the North Star. And that is, that is my dragon heart, right? You've given it a name and a face. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful, but it's all, it's the same thing. It's circling back to that. What does my highest self want for me right now? And if I say yes to that, magic's waiting. And it's badass. Mm-hmm. And in the forming of our tribe, the first guys to, to exchange beads, starting that as you planted that seed and watching that grow amongst our group has been just, you know, layer upon layer of fucking awesome building the cake, you know, like throw some German chocolate sauce in there, <laughs> throw a red velvet. Like each and every one of those beads has been awesome. And we've been mm-hmm. through so much together. We've put ourselves through a lot together, you know, mm-hmm. from the heroic journeys to just life itself. And, um, I think that, you know, like, uh, one of my favorite quotes from my childhood friend is don't talk about it, be about it. Mm. And it it really reminds me as you were pointing to, it's not enough to know we must do Bruce Lee. Right. And so we've done, we've done the fucking tribe. We know it inside and out. We've solidified our song too. And when we bring that to the larger group of fit for service, everyone fucking feels it. Everyone wants in on that. And so the forming of these relationships, it couldn't be any other way. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it has to happen by proxy because of what we built together. So that container is everything. And we hear that year after year, you know, how much better. And each year it gets better and better mm-hmm. too, right? Like we've all felt that. There was a period in time where we'd look at each other and say, I hope, I hope it's as good as the last one. And we'd fucking <laughs> exceed so far beyond that. Every it time. just became laughable. The last summit, I was like, I finally don't wonder. It's the mm-hmm. first summit I've ever been to where I didn't wonder if it was going to be better. I knew through my fucking body, this is going to be the best one yet. And it was. And I know through my body next year is <laughs> yeah. going to be the best one we've ever fucking done. Yeah. yeah. Wholeheartedly. Your it's, man. it's astounding. The joy, the joy that comes from this level of friendship in this community is I think it's underappreciated and, and underindexed in in the way that we think about our lives. I think we put, yeah. I think we overindex our romantic partners and underindex our friendships and our brotherhoods and sisterhoods. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's something that when you actually feel it and you understand, like, yeah, I'm not downplaying you know romantic relationships. It's obviously super fucking important, and we all have relationships like that that we love so much and are a central core you know the central unit of the dyad but you know these friendships are are 
yeah. so powerful and it can really change everything about your life and really gives the color and, and joy and, and beauty of life. I think something that just kind of clicked for me, but I've known for a long time is when once these relationships are refined and solidified and recognized and claimed, we become one body doing, you know, we talk about the mission a lot here. And this we have a, a unique role in the greater mission that's our mission. And that's happening by proxy in resonance, in alignment. And each of us are, you know, we only have so many arms and so much capacity. And so for us, you know, we were best friends before we became coaches. We're best friends through going through the rituals and the rites of passage and and the depths with each other and calling each other out and partying together and all these things and, um, and learning about life and learning what we knew would be helpful to humanity and stepping into that place in our own personal evolution together where we actually cared to give back to humanity. And then we become these different arms of this same being that's here to do something unique and and specific for the world, but as part of this collective, you know, um, collaborative experience that we're all in. And in Fit for Service, there are naturally organizing magnetic sub-tribes that come together and those have this different personality. The whole tribe has a personality and a flavor and there's something really empowering and relaxing about magnetizing that field. And so when we go into a bigger group, like 200, 250 people, it's like we're all in our dharma flowing, feeling each other in the field, winking, smiling, rubbing each other's back, getting each other what we need, helping us each be the arm that we're supposed to be and exalting that frequency. And we're different, but we're doing the same thing together. And that there's something um, that's the way that the unique self has more power to do what it's here to do is with those other arms of other people in the same body. Bottomless Voltron. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it we rem- now have a name and a face for our <laughs> being. <laughs> it reminds me of, you know, Gaffney's model of relationship in general, which, you know, I'll just summarize here quickly, but he has this idea of role mate, soul mate, whole mate. And role mate is the idea that we're each doing our own part for the good of the tribe. Like we each do our own thing. You will have this role that we'll fill and we'll divide up, you know, the the tasks and we'll go handle it. You know, that's obviously the basic part of a relationship and things that we do for each other, things that we do, you know, and then there's soulmate, which is those moments where we sit down together and drop in deeply and just like open ourselves entirely looking straight at one person you know, which we've all done with with each of us at those moments where we just drop in and and see it all and the rest of the world just drops away and there's nothing to do but give and receive the full truth and transparency of who we are. It's the, the soulmate. And then the whole mate is when we turn our gaze from looking at each other right in the eye and it and each level is included and transcended. Right. So role mates included and transcended and soulmate included and transcended into whole mate where we're both locking arm in arm or hand in hand and facing a shared horizon together. Mm. And in that facing of a shared horizon, that's the culmination in the, and also the full model of what, you know, what a relationship can ultimately be is all of those different things, the different roles, the ability to drop in and see each other deeply. I see you like an avatar. And then the other one, which is like, all right, what is our shared horizon yeah. mm-hmm. that we're facing? And uh, and that's something that, you know, 
I think one of the reasons why our ohana is so strong is we have all of those different levels and they're all they're all distinct and they're all you know included in uh in what we what we share together there was a eminent psychologist that i was uh watching a lecture on um he was a family psychologist and he said something that just really stirred me and he's like uh we're so fragmented in our culture with our family that we don't recognize that the truth of the human organism is that its fundamental unit is as a quote unquote family and that there's no such thing as an individual human when it like he was looking at it from the lens of like the level of emergence where a human is the most in its in all four songs at once is when it starts to like connect with other humans, like the organs of a single body. And that what I've experienced is that when we're at these events and we're in our whole mates with each other, we can go like 10 hours and not talk to each other, but we feel like we're as a group and we are just in a, a type of flow where maybe at the end of our lives we can count at least one day per event where we're like, oh, mm. I think we got like 40 under our belt. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that <laughs> it's the function of it is as a group, we feel we are of service to each level in a way where there's no trying. And mm -hmm. I have found that like they're the best experiences of my life and that it's, it's actively just being in service in a type of jazz way where like when I first started as a coach, I had so much fear about like, I don't deserve to be here. And then I would write, like, I remember the first time I did a workshop, I wrote out my workshop for like a month. <laughs> and <laughs> Rewrote it. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, it's like, I've, I've learned that like, that was my worst gift because I was trying to stay inside of my mind in a way that I prepared in fear. And what I've learned, especially like you give us permission to do this, which is trust yourself, trust that you know and trust that you know how to listen. And that if you listen in the moment, you will have the most honest, useful healing reflection. And, um, yeah, that's the problem with yeah. the preparation of anything that you're going to say or share or do. It's like, yeah, it's good to be prepared, but prepared in a kind of holistic way where you're prepared for anything. And you can have an idea and a plan, but if you if you prepare too much, then it's like you're knowing what you're going to say in a conversation before you hear what what everybody else has to say and what they're speaking in the silence of their presence. Mm -hmm. You know, you can actually listen, and I think that's, it keeps the, God that's out. the key. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like if if you know what if you know what you're going to say, God has not entered into the dance. <laughs> yeah, I think that you know, anytime I'm giving a speech, like one of the most important things I do is I get out and it, even if I'm on the side of the stage, I'll go feel the crowd for as long as I can, and ideally walk through the crowd, and and, and just kind of know like where it's at, feel the energy, understand the collective, feel like where everybody's at, and there's this kind of this I'm being informed in ways right. that I can't even describe. There's no way I could actually 
well, I felt a little of this. As soon as I condense it to words, it's actually not real. I'm trying to symbolize something that I'm actually sensing and feeling. And I think that's, yeah, that's part of the magic of it. And it's part of the magic of any conversation. It's the, yeah. it's the listening component. I learned yesterday that Charles Bukowski's grave just says, don't try. Oh. <laughs> Period. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he's like, you know, someone to super aspire to, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he had his, he had his <laughs> but flaws that, for sure. that I thought about that this morning. It feels like it's being reflected right now. And I think something, you know, we've already dropped into this, but it, it leads to the next thing. And that's when you're in a bigger arena, the greater arena. Feeling comfortable in yourself is something that having that first level of tribe has given me. That's mm. for sure. Because if I feel like I'm in the room with my family, I'm not trying. I'm just being myself. And whatever the my genius is in being is going to emerge. But if you're in an arena where you feel like you're in a group of strangers, that mechanism and you know tendency towards trying is definitely stronger. So. Yeah, and, and also the, the fear that if you don't show up, it's all going to fall apart, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was a summit where you got sick day oh, one God. and we're like stuck in your room. Uh -huh. And it was like, no, no worries, Casey, we got you. And y'all, I went through initiate, initiation because I all the fears of like, well, am I am I still part of the tribe if I'm not serving? Yeah. Am I safe here? What if what if they don't need me? And that and that's and where then, the Ohana comes in and says, mm -hmm. no, no, we got you. Yeah. Like whatever whatever you are going, we'll just pick up the slack and we'll we'll keep going. And even if in this, you know, in the worst cataclysmic event of you know your, a transition, it's like no, no, we'll pick up the work, we'll pick up the work where where you left off, and we'll do our best to sing your song in yeah. your absence. You know, and that's even for me, it's been something really cool that's developed over this last year is my trust. And you guys, like I used to get really, I would get really nervous before an event that I was going to get sick because I felt like the burden mm. of kind of like holding mm -hmm. the leadership role of the of the summits. And I would actually psychosomatically convince myself that I was sick. And through this past year, all of that phenomenon has dropped away because it was like, and I think it was actually a moment in Arcadia where I invited you guys to actually like close one of the big days and just watching how you guys navigated it was like, no, it's cool. You know, I'm, I'm, and I, so I'm not even afraid. Right. I mean, it's not my preference, right. you know, but I'm not afraid. I know that even if I, even if I fall, like it goes on. And yeah. that's the, that's the beauty of, it's the beauty of the Ohana. Well, let's move on into, uh, I think I'm going to combine songs three and four because they're about, and you'll hear them in a second, but it's about the totality of all humanity and also the cosmos. And I think the, the relationship mm -hmm. is distinct and each of those need to be treated as individual songs, but also we can talk about them mm -hmm. holistically. Yep. Song three and song four. <clears throat> and there is a one who widens his soul even further until it expands and spreads beyond the boundary of tribe to sing the song of humanity. His soul is continuously enlarged by the genius of humankind and the glory of this divine image. He aspires towards man's universal purpose and anticipates his higher holification. And from this living source does he draw the entirety of his thoughts and explorations, his aspirations and his visions. And there is a one who rises even further than this in expansion until she joins herself in unity with all of existence in its totality, with all creatures and with all worlds. 
and together with all of them she gives forth song. And this is the one who engages daily in a chapter of song, who is promised that she lives in the emergent world. Mm -hmm. So the third song, the song of all humankind, of the human condition. And of course, this is deeply related to the song of the cosmos, but distinct because there's the human song. And if we don't pay attention to the human song, we will actually ostensibly destroy so much more of at least the cosmos that we have access to. Now, yeah. I don't want to put limitations on the earth as the definition of cosmos because there's obviously the unmanifest cosmos and there's also the cosmos that extends beyond earth. Now, we all have very different beliefs that we don't know that much about. Matthias probably has, <laughs> Matthias <laughs> Stefano has more beliefs about what that cosmos might be. And I think we all agree with a lot of his ideas and we've explored these non-physical realms and dimensions to understand this. But really what the invitation of song three and song four is, is to say, all right, now that we've locked in songs one and two, and this is a constant process of evolution, this is something that we'll always be continuing yeah. to go back to, sing these songs. How do we sing the song of all humankind and how do we sing the song of all of cosmos, which oftentimes looks like the very same song? Sometimes can be different, because, but those, the link between those is very, very strong. And I think the, you know, the invitation is how do we show up? You know, how do we show up in the world? And how do we show up in humanity? And you know, we're at a very interesting time for this where things have gotten far more polarized and tribal. And there's a lot to stand for. And I think it becomes an interesting, tricky spot when standing for becomes standing against because sometimes mm -hmm. part of standing for is saying no. There is the sacred divine aspect of the boundary of saying no. Like, no. Like, we do not accept this, which ostensibly appears like against, but it's a very important distinction, I think, to, to understand that it's ultimately a stand for and to understand what we're standing for more than anything. And, uh, and this, is the, this is the place that we find ourselves in. And actually, I'd like to go to, to you first, Kyle, on this one, because you know, I think what I've really seen from you is, is, the, is the grappling with this particular, this particular concept, having some of the strongest feelings of what you're standing for, and also some of the strongest, like, no, like, hell no, like, we don't stand for this, or I don't stand for this in, uh, in how you live. So when you're looking out at the world now at this particular time and singing the third song and the fourth song, and, and feel free to draw distinctions between those, but, you know, what has been, what's really alive for you in this moment? You know, we don't need to do like a, the full history of what happened from 20 to 21 to 22 to into 23, but like a now, like what's, what's yeah. like, a, what's alive for you now in singing these songs? Well, for me, part of the biggest alchemy that I've had in the last year, which sums up 20, 2020, 21 and 2022 is um, a lot of help from Charles Eisenstein in not seeing, you know, some demonic figure twisting his mustache ruling over the few. 
you know, ruling over the many, the few ruling over the many. And really, um, with that, if that player's off the board, then what, what are we actually playing? And it's been a search for a deeper truth of what does the game board look like? What are we asking each other to do? Is greed driving it? Sure. Is power driving it? Sure. Is any of these things that are not serving the highest good behind it? Cool. What now? Like, if that's the case, fine. But how do I let that affect me? And does that affect my vision of the all of humanity? And a lot of my alchemy in the last two and a half years is restoring my love for all people and mm -hmm. recognizing through Charles' writing that even a guy like Bill Gates is thinking of his family. Even a Klaus Schwab is thinking of, of the, the seeds he wants to plant for a better world through his mind, you know, and really releasing the idea of, of an evil force that's out to get us, you know, and like putting that to bed so I can restore my vision of humanity and love all humans. Because every human I've ever met, I have no fucking enemies. They're all awesome people. I might disagree with them on certain things, but it, it doesn't make me think of them as, as a bad person or somebody who's flawed and somebody who can't be fixed or somebody who even has shit to fix, you know? They just mm -hmm. see the world through their eyes and I see the world through my eyes. And through Gaffney's work, you know, circling to that whole mate, like really, if, if we found our tribe, which we have, and, and people keep being drawn to us in the exact moment they need to be drawn to us and trusting in that, trusting that the right people come in exactly the right moment and those bonds form at exactly the right time, what is the shared horizon? Because I know my people and I know we're looking the same direction. Are we seeing the game the way that it is? And that's been a big piece for me in first deciphering what is that actually look like? You know, what, 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 what are the things that we need to worry about, right? We've got all the existential crisis in the world. We've homies with Daniel Schmachtenberger, Gaffney's in tight with him. People that have really spent far longer researching this, the, these things and really studying and poking holes in it and saying, like, what's this, what's the real thing to worry about here, right? Like Gaffney said, he's like, climate's number 10 on the list of 10. There's nine things higher than that that we should be paying attention to equally, if not more so, that are a problem. And when we really factor that in, especially having kids, it's kind of like, holy shit, you know, like that's the, the fucking, the time is now. Hamilton Souther, as you said that to mm -hmm. him, that wake up call that's happened for myself and for yourself and for so many of us has been, you know, the, that all of life has been training us for this moment. And if we stand arm in arm, can we do it? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Fuck yes. Because mm -hmm. humanity is brilliant. And if I trust that the all of humanity in that third song is good and means well, then I know it's just a matter of communication and agreeing on what is the game that we wish to create going forward. What horizon do we see and what horizon can we collectively build together that is truly building back better, not just some fucking slogan from a president that can't pronounce words, right? Mm. But like, let's do the damn thing correctly and in a way that leaves it more whole than when we started and makes truly the more beautiful world that we know it's possible. That's that's the alchemy that I've had around the third song. The fourth song for me is really, you know, as above, so below. And it starts with self, but it also starts with the ground and the soil and the plants. And it's been, it's been such a draw for me to learn this stuff. But then now, thanks to you having this farm with you, where we actually get our hands in the fucking dirt, we put plants in the ground and I can watch it like an infant growing. And it needs a lot of care, just like an infant right now, but soon... It's going to be standing on its own, creating on its own, and so robust and fruitful that we can actually recreate the Garden of Eden. And I think of that from a cosmic level 
uh, I told this story in Sedona too, you know, the, the planting of bamboo in my backyard for my wife's birthday and a bunch of trees. And I was thinking about how awesome it is that bamboo pumps out a ton of oxygen and just clears out VOCs and make this really clean air. And then, you know, the, the, the anti-Kyle came in and, and kind of laughed like, no, dummy, you put fucking four bunches of bamboo in the ground. Think of the fucking size of the earth. This does nothing. And then I remembered Charles and I remembered, you know, my own alchemy on ayahuasca, like any act for the good of the all, however small, is felt through the totality of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the second I tapped back into that, that visceral memory, a hawk circling overhead, just fucking, you know, with the loud scream. And I was like, oh, fuck, there it is. And I looked up and obviously I'm emotional right now and just tears flooded because that knowing the thoughts that we have that what can I possibly do? You know, it's not enough. How much, how much of an impact can I make? It's not enough. That's all bullshit. That's all the anti mm-hmm. version of ourselves saying, eh, don't worry about playing the game. Stay out of the arena. You can't do shit anyways. And it's utter nonsense when we understand that the gift we have is one in which if we devote ourselves to service and we serve for the good of all, that it does make an impact. And however small that impact is, it ripples through the totality of consciousness. And that's that's been my fourth song. Mm. Beautiful. And uh, I think it's Charles that says to, to know that each of our acts has cosmic significance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not to get lost in the fallacy of, you know, scale, which is basically under this idea that, oh, does it scale? You know, well when we actually start to include the fourth song in the third song, we understand that as we evolve and that is this contribution to humanity by actually contributing to the cosmos, to the collective unconscious of, of all of totality. And, uh, and it's so beautiful to remember that and actually frees us and liberates us and, and kind of takes the ammunition away from our opponent like you said that will try to paralyze us by saying oh it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you do that bamboo doesn't matter so don't even fucking worry about it you know like doing this this thing doesn't really matter like you're just one person there's eight billion people and and that is absolutely one of the tactics of the opponent to try and prevent us from you know actually stepping up and really serving the whole and uh and so yeah absolutely man really beautifully beautifully said a bunch of things came up from kyle share kyle that was beautiful and you're so good at helping give me permission to be vulnerable and i really think that's one of your superpowers like you can kill all of us in this room and you're the quickest (laughs) to genuine tears and i like just thank you for that example because that's something that i didn't get um, Kyle's why people up. made swords. <laughs> and then, <laughs> These and arms then, aren't going to work. And then eventually the swords didn't work because there was like a mountain motherfucker and it was like, damn. Like then they made spears. And like, ah, oh, spears. And they're like, fuck that. They're too good with spears. Guns. <laughs> <laughs> all they needed was to cry. <laughs> all they needed yes. was to cry. <laughs> yes. Um, the frame that has really helped me for... Both understanding the third and the fourth song comes from uh, James Carse's book called Finite and Infinite Games. And the idea is that um, life is a game 
every behavior you do is a subcomponent of a game. And there's two types of games. There's finite games and there's infinite games. Finite games are played by players to be brought to an end so that there can be a winner and a loser title. He goes into like history is actually made up of a sequential unfolding of finite games that produces presidents. Even the way that we do law is as a finite game where it produces like a winner and a loser. But within all finite games, both within it and containing it, is a single infinite game. And the book is kind of this like Tao Te Ching type of like winking at like, what is the infinite game? And a really good example for me is like uh, any sport that you're playing, most, most of us most of the time see it as a finite game. But the sport itself, the game itself, you are all cooperating as to the rules of the game. That the only way that the competition can happen is that there's an implicit agreement to cooperate. And that there's like a way to play a sport where if you get lost in the finite game, you actually injure the integrity of the infinite game. So that would be like a cheater. You know, like if I can get away with cheating because it's all about winning, I'll do it. But it, it, it wounds the integrity of the infinite game. And there's a way to lose the finite game in a way that it actually enhances the health of the infinite game. So that's like, you know, if, if you drew a charge and it should have been a charge and instead of you freaking out at the ref and like getting ejected, you just accept that you didn't get that call. And like everyone who witnesses it is like, there's a little bit more God in them, or at least I choose to believe that. Most of us, what I see, the way that we interact with anyone who doesn't feel like they're a part of our tribe is we have forgotten how to play the infinite game and we're willing to do anything to win the finite game, even if it wounds the integrity of the infinite game. You can just go online and see how people interact with each other. And it's like, there is so much vitriol and poison and venom and pain and unprocessed trauma coming out as judgment and cancel culture and attacking where it's like the zeitgeist body of humanity is being poisoned. It's like what factories were to the environment is what social media is to the zeitgeist where we've developed a tool where we can just pump pollution into the game of humanity. And it really feels like, at least for me, the way that I show up to song three is first, don't participate in the pollution. But then two, the regenerative healing of the zeitgeist is to be an artist. It's, it's to actually be who you are because everyone's unique self, if they weren't impinged on by shame and trauma, is they would express. And their expression is art. And that, like, no one in the flow of their art is in anyone's comments on Instagram hating full stop, period. And that I'm trying to create art that inspires the artists to create art. And then also I'm trying to create art that actually calls out like when people are not in the artist and they're in the pollution. Fundamentally, because I want my kids' kids to have a planet. You know, like 
fundamentally, it's like, it's not about what is happening now. It's about how can we play the game now so that our great-grandchildren get the opportunity to play the game. And so that's the frame that I've been using to contribute to song three. And for song four, song four is in each of the songs for me. And Kyle nailed it on the head. Song four is your relationship to God. Like whatever the big thing is, your and I've had such like this sense of like betrayal with God for so long. Like this, like I don't know what it was about being a about being a kid where I was like pissed off at God because I felt like I was put into this life forever and that I didn't get to choose. And you know, we've worked on that and we've talked about it, and it's great. And that, <laughs> that is great. It's great. And, <laughs> but that. I'm at a point now where those synchronicity moments feels like it's the divine parent who has never flinched at my tantrums, giggling and being like, yes, yes. And that the essence of a synchronicity, I think, is captured perfectly in Kyle's story where it's like something internally is happening for you that is so in tune with something that just happened in the external world that you don't even get a chance to critique it. It's just this, it's like a violin that got the just right string vibrating and it just pours through you. And it often comes out as either laughter or tears. And I think that that's an interesting thing about the human condition that we don't need to go on a tangent about, but that my fourth song has been allowing the tantruming child who feels like he was betrayed to remember like the fundamental goodness that feels like permeates the whole fucking thing and that it's giggling when you're in resonance with the other songs and it's it feels like the most heretical thing that I could possibly believe that I can feel that the fourth song is helping me have the courage to say is that um, I believe that humans are fundamentally good in such a profound way that most of the things that we feel like we have to do aren't true. And that if we were able to be a tuned enough instrument that we could inspire the tunedness of the person in front of us, you know, it's like the joke you made, like the swords are not needed. And that it, there's this thing that happens when you start to talk about like the fundamental goodness of humans where people who think that they're well-informed and smart are like, well, what about X? We're going to need to, you know, have to confront, like if someone breaks into your home and there is absolutely a place for practicality where, you know, I can just admit, okay, I'm not Yeshua. If someone breaks into my home, I'm going to do what I have to do to protect my kids. But I, I can feel that through the fourth song, I'm at least being able to hold the vision of what if there is a state of human consciousness and expression that trumps all of that. Mm -hmm. And that the, fundament, the fundamental nature of human is good because the fundamental nature of the fourth song is actually good. That for most of my life, I, it's either there's no song there or it's actually 
like evil and some super trying to write a horror movie to my mm -hmm. own psyche type of way. And Kyle knows what the fuck I'm talking <laughs> about. We've been there. But I can feel that the fourth song has been unfolding for me in a way where I can believe if, if the totality is actually good because we are of that. We are too. And to close this, there's a Buddhist story from Jack Cornfield that I read the other day that really just felt like such a beautiful um, highlight of everything I just shared. And it's that imagine that you're walking uh, with a bunch of groceries in your hand and someone hits you really hard on the shoulder. All your shit falls, your juice spills, the food that you got broke out of the package. And you go to turn to be like, what the fuck? Are you blind? And you see that the other person fell over, is sprawled, their groceries just broke, and they are blind. The instinct that we would all have is we would instantly go from rage to, oh my God, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And that what Jack Kornfield was saying is all of the hurt that we do to each other is because we are that. We are stressed and we are blind. Mm. Mm. Well said. <laughs> wow. So much came up for me with both of you guys sharing. I um, I have this, uh, one of the most beautiful moments of my year was at our first mini, uh, mini festival before we did Arcadia. We had a mini festival in Austin called Anima. And for my whole life, anytime I would pray, I would ask for help with something. I would ask for something. I would say, like, please help this person. Please help, you know, please make anything that I'm uncomfortable with <laughs> get more comfortable, get better, help me find my way. Um, you know, that was my relationship to God. And I also, in time, matured and learned to include gratu uh, gratitude and be, um, you know, expand my prayers. But the pivotal moment that happened there was we were winding down on the last night and we had a an altar built in the barn. This is where we'll have our summit again for the first summit next year here at the farm in Lockhart. And um, the, someone on the team said, we got to go tell people to leave. Like, it's time to go. And I, and Eric's great at this, and it really helps our event team out. He'll <laughs> get on the mic and be like, talk to, the, talk to people until they leave. And it, there's a place for that for sure. But for some reason that night, I just felt like I trust them to leave. I trust them to leave. And so I went in, and I just sat with them. And we talked about the weekend, and we shared things. And I did, we did a collective um, kind of prayer and, and toned with our voices. And then... Um, I said, you know, I'm going to go to bed. I trust you guys to leave when you're ready. And um, I talked about radical trust and how, how I had this sense that when you trust people, they can suddenly be trusted. And you give the attunement to the field that's available there by your radical trust in your environment. It actually changes people. I believe that. I felt it. I saw it that night. I've seen it ever since. And after I shared about radical trust, one of the members came up to me and on his egg, which we did egg prayers, which I guided that day, he'd written radical trust. He's now a member of our team. 
Matt Levine. Um, I turned around to the altar and I kneeled to pray. And for the first time in my life, all that came out was, I'm going to help save the world. And I just said it to God. It just came through me. I feel so much energy in my body saying this because it felt like this year was the year that I changed. I arrived in that third song and the fourth song, which was that it's it suddenly feeling the magic of what we are participating in and cannot be extricated from came so vividly to life for me that it became my reason for everything that I do. And that called forth a new benevolent power in me that is responsibility to everything. That is, if I show up in love, in trust, I can actually change the frequency in a way that, that is propagated throughout all of humanity in due time. There's nothing that happens on the web of life that doesn't have a ripple effect that continues eternally. And I could feel that so wholly in my body. And that was a pivotal point for me where, you know, I, I've started to notice like just my, the love that is actually there. And I think we forget the love that is actually there when we, we have so much access to information and news and there are daily atrocities that break our hearts and annihilate our, our faith. And, um, we cannot, we cannot make sense of and justify, you know, with the sense of God and love that we also know. But they outrage us because there's love for everyone. We don't, we wouldn't feel that fire in our bodies if the love wasn't there. So rather than having the attention fixated on the outrage, can we attune and reorient to the love that is the source of the outrage? Can we nurture that and celebrate it and talk about it and help people recognize that it's there? And when you reorient there and you and just one other person reorienting, one other person reorienting, we wake up to the fact that we are all connected and we do deeply care about one another. And we want this beautiful game that we are playing in to continue. And something that I feel like in addition to just really feeling passionate about that right now, especially after my experiences this year, particularly in this community, particularly at Arcadia, where we threw this festival where it was like against all odds, all the money spent, all the disasters you can imagine, and it comes together and it's, you're like, this is glorious. Like the, the faith, the restoration of the faith and the beautiful anguish that allows faith to even be a thing because mm. we wouldn't even get to experience that if we weren't forgetting all the time that it that it that maybe it's 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 totally absolutely real and true um there's just a beautiful such a rich beautiful life experience that we get to have in this duality and it's much more than duality in this full spectrum experience um but i something i've i've been really wanting to to help other people see at this point in my life because i've gotten to this place in my life is i'm almost 40 years old I didn't have this aha moment in my body where it became about the rest of the uh, the rest of humanity and every plant and every animal and and everything that will happen after my lifetime until you know this year when I was 39 years old and I hear a lot of people you know in in coaching experiences and in friendships that feel this um 
they're really lost for their dharma. They want to have a glor- glory, this sense of a glorious role that feels like I've done, and they and we can see it in, in social media. It's another re- it's, it, social media is also, you know, this pumping machine for medicine too, is like both. It's like how much can we generate on a mass scale? Um, but setting that aside, it's it can create this crippling despair that feels like, oh, this person's doing this huge thing and they have this huge following and they're so successful and my dharma's got to look like that. Like when I'm in my dharma, it will be like that and it will have that many followers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in, from this place in my life, I can now look back on the perfection of my role at a given time every step of my life's journey, you know, um, and I see it in everyone doing their unique part. Uh, you know, somebody washing the windows, somebody doing the landscaping, somebody like, um, you know, tending the electrical systems of our cities and stuff. And we need each other. And there is not really a role that is more glorious because they're all so essential. And that all is born of being in that recognizing like when you look at an ecosystem and you have the soil and you have the bugs that nobody ever even sees that propagate the health of the soil and and actually generate all of the life that that you know bursts through the the surface and everything that ultimately becomes beauty in the flower or the giant oak tree that makes you stop and go wow there's so many roles here that we are we as human beings we get too, because of our consciousness level and our capacity for free will and choice and and because of our longings for more and because of our hindrances, because of our traumas. We get to actually experience ourselves in so many different roles in the ecosystem of this planet that there's a, there's almost this, this heavy tragedy when I hear, you know, the person that I've always been, when I hear myself and other people saying, I'm not there yet. I want to find my my way. I want to find my role. And and so many people get stuck in depression and even suicide and self-destruction because they feel that longing. And there there needs to be, we need to exalt the ecosystem as a whole with every role being essential so people can celebrate the perfect way that they're serving in a given time with their with their particular set of skills and level of awareness at that moment, knowing that it's always evolving and that there's always more. To celebrate that and to trust, and I just want to say to everyone, like, keep going. Keep living. Don't kill yourself. Don't give up. Because one day, the dawn of your life will happen, and you'll suddenly realize how connected you are to everything and how perfect everything you did and every time you hurt, and everyone you touched, and every smile you gave, even if it was in a coffee shop or at five o'clock in the morning in the, on the casino floor, it all mattered. And it brought you there. And your life will be different from then on forever. And I want every human being to get to that point in their life where they just taste it. Mm. So that's how I feel. <laughs> Man, you guys are really on fire. Three for this <laughs> Yeah, a few things that, uh, that was beautiful, Kate, and, and a few things that I think are worth double-clicking on. Uh, the idea that we wouldn't have outrage if we didn't actually know deep in our body that there was the good. Like, it's if this was a fucked-up world, you know, organized by a demon, why would we be outraged at anybody acting in a, in a demonic, antithetical way to life? And be like, oh, yeah, it's just the way it is. We, we would expect it. But we actually know that the yeah. cosmos is good. We know it. 
And as much as we can try to convince ourselves otherwise, like we know that there's a fundamental goodness. That's why an atrocity is an atrocity, not an expectation. You know, it's, it's that we know that that this is yeah. when something's not as it's supposed to be. We know it. You know, we actually yeah. know because there is a supposed to be, and yeah. there is a supposed to be, and there is a there is first values and first principles, as Gaffney would say. And, and a big part of my last year's study and work with Gaffney has been on the superstructure of what are the first values and principles of cosmos. And for him, he condenses a lot of them in Eros, you know, and Eros is like the Tao, but it's a, it's just a warmer, you know, lineage interpretation of the that's Tao. That's a good word to use. Yeah. It's and, warmer than the Tao. And it's, mm. and it's like, it's the law that's, that's underneath all, all things. And so knowing that I'm playing, you know, a significant part of the role in, in helping to build and share and actually hold this new superstructure, this new story for a new humanity in response to the metacrisis. Like that's been a, a deeply empowering moment that's actually seems to be fulfilling this inner known prophecy I had of like, no, I'm here for something, I'm here for something important. But as you're saying, Kate, everybody's here for something important. And we fall into a trap when we start to measure our importance. And this is one of the slippery, slippery slopes of social media is everything is compared. You're comparing likes and you're comparing comments and you're comparing following and you're comparing yourself at all times, which is then undervaluing, you know, what you really are contributing. And imagine if every creature in the ecosystem every creature in the jungle wanted to be a lion and all of a sudden they had yeah. genie powers right. and they could all be lions and everybody's well that'd be fucked up all the lions would start lions fighting start each other would each they other. start eating it would the, the whole thing would devolve immediately so there's deep wisdom in understanding that we're each playing our own sacred instrument and to not try to measure the audibles of the instrument because that's false we're in the trap at that point. And, and social media, unfortunately, lays those traps for us in a, in a very, you know, tricky way where it's kind of hijacking our song two feeling like this is my tribe and it hijacks song one because our identity is wrapped up in our social media. So when, when our identity gets attacked, mm. actually, we feel the diminishment of ourself. If we post something and people come at us, like all of a sudden our own power meter like drops down, our life force vitality starts to drop down. And these are the traps that you can fall into. And I think also the impetus for, you know, a move you make was like, fuck this, I'm done with it, you know? And and something that's been alive for me is to just really rethink about the social media itself as just an instrument. And it's an instrument that you play your note through and you play your note and your note's gonna find some people and there's some people that it's gonna strike a chord within them. Just like if you have a tuning fork on a bone that has a fracture, the fracture in the bone is going to hurt. And in that moment, they're going to lash out. But it doesn't mean you should stop playing your instrument because you've hit a few fractures and a few bones that's causing people to go. You're just playing your instrument. And if you know that the intention of you playing that instrument comes, the, the breath that you're actually blowing into the flute of your social media is the breath of love. And it's okay if, if it makes people aware of what's hurting and, it, and some of that attack comes back your way. And I think we're actually in a time now where I think all of us felt like if we said the wrong thing, like the whole world was going to collapse. And there was this, this kind of 
game that was being played where cancel culture, all of these different things felt like they could actually, and there are some places of leverage where it can actually hurt your ability to earn money. I understand that there are some real aspects of that, but ultimately, you know, we can just play the instrument of who we are and just allow it to hit the pain points and receive that and then train ourselves on how to respond in a different way. And you talked again about responsibility and like, I think one of our key responsibilities, and this goes to what you were saying, Eric, one of our key responsibilities is to hone our response ability, right? Mm -hmm. Like our ability to respond when we're attacked, our ability to respond also when we're praised. It's so easy to fall into another trap of inflation where we're taking the praise and adulation and then allowing ourselves to have this inflated idea of who we are and then you know, with the rise comes the fall, of course, as soon as we subject ourselves, And that's when we're getting played by social media rather than playing the instrument. The instrument's mm-hmm. actually playing us and it's blowing, you know, that hot air back into our body rather than us just blowing through it. And I think that's been something that's been really kind of healing for me to just understand like, no, my job is to play the instrument, play it with love, play it with truth. And there's going to be, attempts to blow air and poison darts back through the back through the backflow of the flute but it's my choice as to whether i allow that to be there yeah if i just take my mouth off the flute and just let it pass right by me you know and just play my note and then you know then retire from that moment and uh i think that's really what you know what is alive for me is just building this superstructure of shared values as a context for our diversity and a context for all the paths that we can we can follow the one mountain many paths kind of concept and then also getting more comfortable with just singing my song singing my song and trusting trusting that you know that's all that's all that we can do and there's a there's a there is a place at the table there's a seat at the table for strategy and I honor that. But there's also such stress that comes with trying to be strategic, trying to figure out like, should I or shouldn't I? Or and there's a there's a real freedom in in actually just saying, no, like I'm going to speak from my heart and let it be what it may. And uh, and that's the freedom that I'm kind of invoking in this time. It's just the freedom to sing my song and speak my truth and um and step back a little bit from strategy with a greater faith, mm-hmm. greater faith that the eros will hold, the Tao will hold, you know, that the, that, you know, not to be still learn and still consider everything, but, but just trust, just a deeper, deeper trust. Yeah. I had a, um, mm. I feel weird to say vision, but I had basically a uh, inner image that was very strong. That, uh, because <laughs> uh, a lot of people will use vision as a personification of my ego's desire, but I want to put spiritual energy into it. So you do what I want you to do. But um, I had a strong inner image where, like, the ultimate symbolic act of service was a traveling orchestra that each day listened to where the earth wanted them to go to sing. And every day they got into a place where they sung as if this song is what's going to help save the world right now. 
but the the vision that I saw is like they were just in like a shitty part of Barton Springs. Like it wasn't <laughs> nice. There was trash on the ground. There was Bart no Park audience. <laughs> but they sung it for song four. And that there's something about music that it's like it's the closest human activity that gets to the nature of God. Like it's the one thing that we can do that's like the closest to whatever this thing is. And, and I think that's why it's the songs of, you know, this mm -hmm. great teacher. That's the metaphor that he used, which, by the way, just the wisdom in this and that it's over a thousand years old is absolutely yeah. incredible. And I think if you could somehow merge ecosystem with orchestra, like it's, it's the producing of the group song. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great segue to the final, the final harmony, the orchestra. And there is a one who rises with all these songs together in one unity and all of them send forth their voices. All together they play their melodies and each pour vigor and life into the other. The sound of jubilance and the sound of joy, the sound of celebration and the sound of exultance, the sound of rejoicing and the sound of holiness, the song of the soul, the song of the tribe, the song of humankind, the song of the cosmos, all flow together within him all the time at every moment. And this completeness in its fullness rises to become the song of holiness, a simple song, a double song, a threefold song, a fourfold song, the song of the songs of Solomon to the king to whom wholeness belongs. Long live the king. Long live the king and long live, long the, queen. live the queen. And it all circles back. And yeah. the journey, the journey is an infinite spiral wholeness. of singing all mm. the songs together and all of these songs together. Then here we are at the end informing a little bit more about the first song, about the inner king and the inner queen, about Dragonheart, and, and then every path along the spiral, every every time we circle a little bit more. And this is evolution. 100%. And, uh, and that's what we're, we're here for, to be on the bleeding edge of the evolution of, of ourselves, of our tribe, of humankind, of the cosmos. And I'm just, you know, it's my one of my life's great, great honors to be able to serve through Fit for Service and through our life in totality with all of you. And, uh, and to call you guys my family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, indeed. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you who are listening and want to be a part of this journey with us, um, it's a year-long program this coming year. And uh, just trust yourself, you know. Uh, go to the applications at fitforservice.com. Um, share your heart and, uh, and trust your guidance. And, and we trust you. Mm -hmm. You know, we trust you to, to listen to the voices inside, listen to the lehisha, the whisper. And if that whisper says, you know, give this a look, then please do, because we'd love to see you. And, uh, and also, just so everybody knows, like, if you listen to it and you're like, wrong whisper, you know, it was the wrong thing. <laughs> 
Like you can come and learn from us for three months and come to our, you know, event in Austin and experience the tribe, experience mm-hmm. all of us, experience all the amazing coaches and, and teachers that we have that we're bringing in, which are fucking unbelievable next year. I mean, Peter Crone and John Churchill and, you know, everybody, <laughs> you know, Layla Martin and Kelly Brogan and McCod and it's like and Matias Stefano and Robert Edward Grant and like so many fucking unbelievable humans yeah. that are coming through this and uh but if you if you're not into it then we'll just give you all your money back and yep. s- send you away with love not with rancor with bitterness you know it's yeah this is um and then the reason we offer that is that there are people who have the whisper who know they're meant to come and they have weird stories about money and they're afraid and it's like we made that for you guys yeah we're not trying to we're not trying to like Trick you. <laughs> you know, like, Radical chess, baby. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So it works. Yeah. It's gonna be a hell of a year. It's gonna be a hell of a year. It's been a hell of a year. And it's gonna keep being a hell of a year. And every year after that's gonna Best be a hell of a year. Best, Best year, year ever. ever. Best year ever. Every year. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The ascending spiral. <laughs> yeah. We're dancing on it. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like this will be the convergence. Like we've been through four years of this program now kind of like a graduation and synthesis of what is the best of everything that we've done knowing it's going to get better and that's what we're bringing to this year and um and i love this community so much i just gotta say anyone who's worked with me knows how much i i wholeheartedly love and um and i'm just really genuinely excited to see who shows up and who we yeah it's one of the most exciting parts it's like first day (laughs) of school energy you know that first that first call you know, we're all looking on it and like, oh, wow. And then the first time we get together in person and because, you know, there's we all have like part of our own ohana that have come through fit for service. Yeah. I mean, people in this room now who are behind the cameras and behind the scenes who've come through fit for service, people who are over at our house and doing ceremony and people we link with all over the world. And it's it's uh, the network interweaves itself and us and them and. And the connections that everybody's formed, it's it's just a it's a beautiful thing, you know. And and when even sometimes it's like, does it make sense from a allocation of resources and the income? Obviously, you know, it was a, it was a we went into a donation model, and it was a highly <laughs> uh, highly monetarily uh, disadvantageous venture last year. You know, we the as a business, we lost quite a bit of money. But there was no hesitation. I was like, was it worth it? Fuck yeah, it was worth yeah. it. You know, are we like, gonna keep going? Are yes. we gonna keep going? Yeah. Like that's not a it's not a question. You know, it's it's this is uh we really believe in this. We believe that this the ability to actually build the self, the tribe, and then the orientation towards all humanity and all the cosmos is is essential for this new story. And this yeah. is the place where we actually get to get to practice it. And get to share these practices so it can ripple out mm-hmm. into all the fractals of everybody doing that with their own communities. Yeah. That's the faith, game. Faith serves to get you to that point in which you know. And I yeah. feel like these past few years um, has been the whispers of knowing and the promise of faith. And now we know. Yeah. No faith needed. Amen. We know that this is Amen. worth doing and we are going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hope you guys... Uh, Come back and and do it with us. It's going to be great. Indeed. We love you guys. Love, love, love. Thanks for tuning into the show, everyone. Once again, if you guys are interested in Fit for Service, just go to Fit for Service. 
Com, and you can check out our core program for 2023. We'll also be putting out different programs throughout the year if you miss the applications for this one. So check it out, fitforservice.com and at fitforservice on Instagram. I love you guys and I'll see you next week.